Hey, Chad Brown here. You may remember me as a linebacker in the NFL or as a reptile breeder and the owner of Pro Exotics. I've been herping since I was a boy, and I've dedicated my life to advancing the industry and educating the community about the importance of reptiles. I also love to encourage the joy of breeding and keeping reptiles as a hobbyist, which is why my partner Robin and Markland and I created the Reptile Report. The Reptile Report is our online news aggregation site bringing you the most up-to-date discussions from the reptile world. Visit thereptilereport.com every day to stay on top of the latest reptile news and information. We encourage you to visit the site and submit your exciting reptile news, photos, and links so we can feature outstanding breeders and hobbyists just like you. The Reptile Report offers powerful branding and marketing exposure for your business, and the best part is it's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you got to check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the reptile world's most complete buying and selling destination full of features to help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex, weight, morph, or other keywords and use our buy it now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the Marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad that also gets fed to the Reptile Report and our powerful Marketplace Facebook page. Buying or selling? Use shipyourreptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animals successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptiles successfully, live customer support, and our live on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit TheReptileReport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder. Then visit ShipYourReptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile related. another episode of Morelia Python Radio. This is a very unique episode in that I will be flying solo. It's the first ever solo episode of Morelia Python Radio. 
Unfortunately, Zach had a death in his family, so we have to reschedule the Blue Tongue uh, Skink episode, which I was looking forward to. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we'll probably be hitting in that sometime in December. And Owen, I don't know, I think Jim told me that uh, he had another shipment of snakes come to the office, so he's on punishment and uh, he's hanging out uh, working the night shift at work, something like that. But, oh, we'll be back next week, and uh, we have the uh, roundtable with uh, Boland's talk, so uh, it should be, uh, that should be a great show. Um, but before we get going, um, I wanted to mention two things. Um, first, uh, this past Sunday... Um, I was asked to uh, fill in for Buddy as a guest on GTP Keeper Radio, and uh, it was really cool uh, to hang out with, uh, talk with those guys, um, both uh, Bill and uh, Brad. Brad Waffa uh, was the guest, and uh, he's uh, he's a vet, and um, he uh, he was talking about uh, some different things uh, as far as uh, what he's experienced in his uh, you know uh, career as a vet. Uh, with reptiles and such. Uh, so it was a pretty cool episode. Um, there was uh, some little tidbits that you can take away. So just look up GTP Keeper Radio uh, on iTunes or whatever your podcast app of choice is um, to check out. Uh, and second, uh, there's an auction going on for uh, Bob uh, Fudo. Um, and uh, it's over on Morelia Pick of the Week, and it ends tomorrow. This is the, the third... Uh, animal up for auction in um uh for this is uh it's a 2014 male zebra from precision uh i mean not from precision it's from a precision zebra bred to an unknown female jcp um and it's uh i guess it's an ivory phenotype but um it's from uh, gfx morelia julie uh she donated that animal so uh get on over there and check it out and um I got plenty of questions popping over here in the uh <laughs> in the chat room so that's pretty cool. Um so yeah, so tonight's episode I figured uh since I never have really the opportunity to go in depth about my collection or my parents or what I have going on, I figured, you know, since Owen's not here to hear me talk about morphs and crazy abominations as he calls them, uh <laughs> I figured it was a good opportunity to uh to talk about some of that stuff. And uh, some of the stuff that I do, uh, <laughs> so, and he believes in me. Um, and some of the stuff that I do um, over here at EB Morelia. Um, I guess if you're new to the uh, to the podcast, or this is the first time that you're doing it, I'm gonna uh, give a little uh, history on myself, and then uh, you know get into some of the stuff that I had. I know I got a, a couple questions that are popping up, and. There was a couple questions on the post, and uh, you know somebody wants to talk about IJs and such. And I do have some callers. I don't know. I'm afraid to click these these guys on. Let's see. Uh, we'll click these on first here. Let's see. They're popping up. Three four seven area code. You have a question, a comment? Eric. Hey. Who's this? Hey. Yeah, I heard you were flying solo tonight, so I figured I'd call in. We could talk IGs <laughs> now that Owen's not around. <laughs> I love it. What's up? Oh, it's Chris. What's up, Chris? Yeah. Oh, yeah, not much. How's it going? Cool. How's it going? So, oh, nothing. Uh, it's weird now to hear another voice. I didn't know if I was live or what was going on. <laughs> I'm used to uh, hearing something going on, but uh, cool. 
Yeah, IJs, man. IJ talk. Yeah, I love them. Well, you know, what do you got uh, going on this year with IJs? Uh, I only have one pair. I'm doing granite to head granite. Uh, it's a virgin female. I'm giving all my other females a year off. So uh, that, that, that's about it. I haven't decided on anything else. I have another pair I might try. But I think I'm just going to go with the one pair this year. I still have a lot of uh, 2015 sitting around. So I'd okay. rather put some work into them. Gotcha. Now, do you think that... Do you think that it's uh, because uh, are you finding it that people don't really uh, give IJs the love that they deserve, or what? What? What are you hoarding them back? What's the deal? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I haven't put much effort into selling stuff. Um, I've gotten pretty lazy with posting stuff for sale. I'm just sitting around watching them grow. Um, yeah. But no, there's people out there that like them. Yeah, and there's uh, uh, jungle though. <laughs> not yet, right? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I think um well, I guess I get into uh, you know, like as far as IJs goes, uh this year and next year is probably going to be my you know, I've been waiting around to to really produce some some really nice IJs and um you know, you take so long to grow these things up that you forget about these pairings. And uh, I think that this year and next year, I'm going to have some really, well, I hope, I'm going to have some really nice, uh, some IJs. Um, I think one of the coolest pairings that I have going on, I was able to pick up a PCIJ from Aaron. Um, and for people that don't know what PC is, it stands for Poster Child. And basically, Poster Child was uh an animal um it was a female that was uh purchased um by uh Yasser uh and he purchased her from Will Leary and that was back in 03 and she was a wild caught and she was about I don't know 8 9 years old that was the the thought um she laid two clutches and in 05 um she uh, laid a clutch with a pure IJ, and that was Herman, which is basically VPI lineage. Um, and then in 06, Yasser bred her to a 50% IJ, or no, a JAG. So she he got a 50% IJ JAG clutch. Um, I guess if you look back then, IJ JAGs were probably like the coolest thing, you know, uh, kind of like nobody really cares about them these days, I would think, right? You think? <laughs> you uh, know, it's like. Yeah, I mean, when I when I first started getting into carpets, that's what what attracted me to them. I saw the um, the stuff Anthony Caponetto was working with. Uh, that was yeah. one of the first websites I went to, and I saw those IJ Jags, and that was one of the first ones I bought. That was actually my third carpet was a uh, IJ Jag from him. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because that was probably the what I mean. You know, when I was researching carpets somehow i stumbled across that website and uh i remember seeing bullwinkle um and if you don't know who bullwinkle is you can just google bullwinkle and uh bullwinkle ij jag and you'll see what i'm talking about um this thing was crazy you know i mean just insane looking beautiful beautiful snake and uh you know i think when i started seeing his line of gq um IJs, um, that really kind of, 
you know, started me in that uh, vein of, of wanting to really refine IJs. Um, and I don't know, I was, I was, I've been, <laughs> in all those years, since 08, I finally, just this past year, got a pair of, uh, you know, pure GQ line animals. And uh, they're basically, what would you say, they're high contrast? Is that, is that how you would explain them? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't have any pure GQ stuff. Um, the GQ stuff I have is mixed with Hannibal, and okay. the Hannibal okay. stuff seems to be much lighter um, than the GQ, GQ animal. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think, think the, they have the, the very solid black around the, um, the lighter pattern. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'd say a lot of contrast. Yeah. Yeah, I think um I had an animal, unfortunately she passed away before I could breed her, but um she was produced uh from the Reptilicus line uh, IJs. And you can see her on my website, but um she was basically chestnut brown, black and yellow, which is just, you know, um, insane. <laughs> it just was an insane. So the idea is to just produce animals uh, that are like that. Now, with the poster child, po- poster child almost had like this hypo-esque look to it. And I'm going to post a picture of the one that I picked up over in the chat room so you can see what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my boy that I picked up that I'll be breeding this year. Um, and uh I'm breeding him with a uh M Michael Pinnell IJ. Uh mm. I like the uh the results that um I think a few years ago um Matt Lacoste what was that was that like 2012 I think he did that pairing, right? Uh I don't know. Um I yeah. he's worked with so many different IJs. Uh I lost track. I I've seen so much of his stuff. <laughs> right. Um so yeah, in uh, I think I'm I'm almost positive it was twenty twelve, so he did uh, the same type of parent actually uh with the same animal. So uh I'm gonna I'm gonna do that and and try to uh produce some really nice uh reduced pattern hypo esque uh type of uh IJs. So it should be cool. And um, for me, the other cool pairing with IJs is I was uh, another awesome pickup that I had this year was um, I picked up a Tiger IJ. Um, Tiger IJ, I guess, is still uh, on the fence on whether or not this is uh, proved out or not. But basically, it's a striped IJ. has a really bald back, similar to what you'd see in like a Tiger Jag. Um, And uh, I picked up that animal from Mike Curtin. And he is going with uh, Poison Ivy. Uh, So uh, that should be interesting uh, to see what happens with that. So, um, and then, you know, projected into the following year, um, I'm going to be doing, uh, I have some um, Dumb and Sophie animals, which are just probably my favorite IJs that I own. Uh, They should be ready to go. I have... Uh, some Luke Snell stuff, uh, man, Boa Cabana stuff, um, GQ stuff, 
I have about 30 IJs. That's a lot of IJs, man. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot of IJs. I think you have a problem. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, but the most I important think... IJs, I think, are the Exantic IJs. And you should have some of that going, too, right? Yeah. Well, yes. I have a uh, a male um, head Exantic that is going to be going with a female head Exantic. Um I think that she will go. Uh, I'm kind of on the fence, you know. It's like one of those things like, uh, I don't know. I'm going to give it a try because IJs can breed, I think, on the smaller side. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think they have to be quite as big um, as other carpets do. Um, I don't know. My my IJs are kind of small, but then my carpets are kind of small, so I don't know. I mean, when, (laughs) when I got Mike's boy... Oh my gosh, this thing is bigger than my females, you know. <laughs> yeah, when crazy. I uh, I bred my first female that first year that I I bred carpets, the female was sixteen hundred grams, and um, a couple of years later I had picked up uh, what was supposed to be a female and ended up being an adult male, but this thing right. was huge, which is why I never decided to double check the sex on it because it was such a big animal. Uh, it ended up being that GQ Hannibal male that I got, um, but it was, I mean, it was over 2,000 grams, which is nothing like any of the males I've raised up here. And my males reach 700 grams, and as long as they're breeding, that's it. They don't put on wow. any more weight. Yeah, yeah, I keep, yeah, I, I'm probably around the same, same, same weight. I would say, um, I think my females are maybe. Maybe twelve hundred grams, I would say. Maybe tops. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, so yeah. That's my two, two. Well, actually three. You know, that one was sort of the one that was sort of on the fence. I mean, when basically there's what we have: Exanic, granite, and there's a couple other possible, you know, morphs that are out there. But uh, I think the Exanic granite is probably the freaking coolest mutation, uh, you know, that's out there to date. Like, that combo is just killer. Um, yeah, I agree. I love that snake. Yeah. it's. Uh, I can't wait to produce one of those. So, you know, it's like this thing that that I've been doing for the past couple of years. It's like I continually produce these, this het stuff, which, you know, is visually, you know, not – that's you know I know what the potential is, and somebody like you would know what the potential is, but your average person that doesn't really know about carpets is probably going to just say, "Oh yeah, okay, whatever um you know and and then you have to wait another uh you know three years to to grow the animals up before you can before you can breed it you know next year uh probably the most exciting thing is uh I have a male um uh, from from the poison ivy clutch that I did in uh, 2014, and he'll be ready to go, and I'm going to breed her back to mom and see what happens. Um, that will probably be my most exciting clutch of the year. I mean, I'll be waiting, <laughs> biting my nails. Those uh, you know, as those eggs are in the incubator, just you know, wanting to cut them or I don't know. It's just going to be crazy, you know. And it could be something or it could be nothing, but. Did you Either way, pick she, the darkest male to breed back to her? Well, here's the thing with that clutch in particular. It's kind of weird. Um, 
They look you – know, okay, so you'll know this. If you look in a uh, hexanic IJ, right, you know how it has a different look to it? I don't have a hexanic. I've never seen oh, you, one in person. Oh, okay. I've well, seen photos, but I've never seen one in person. So if you saw the green IJs, you know the green IJs mm-hmm. that are over in Europe? Um, that's similar to what the heads look like. They have this kind of like – it's almost like – I don't know if you've if you've seen coastal exanix, right? So when you have coastal exanix and you have this head, it almost looks like they're exanic, but it's just like it's almost like it's an incomplete dominant thing. Um and the exanic is the super, you know. I know that they say that they're recessive, but I don't know, man. I have an I have a head exanic jag I uh coastal and you would swear that that thing is exanic. You would you'd swear that it is, you know, it's just crazy. But so these, uh, head exanic, uh, IJs have this look to them and the poison Ivy babies, there's a few of them in there that have like this exanic look to them. And they're just very odd looking. And every time they shed, they change, um, you know, and then there's these other babies where the black on the animals are very, very black. So if anything, Poison Ivy would be awesome to do like a high con- if nothing works out with her and it doesn't prove out that she's a melanistic. Um, I think that uh, you know it, it, to put her with like say a GQ animal, I think it's going to be very high contrast, you know. And I, I've taken pictures of those animals, but I don't know. It's it's hard to. I was thinking about doing a YouTube video um, and trying to. Uh, maybe capture it that way uh, because the pictures I've taken don't really do the animal justice of what I'm talking about. But, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, if you look at blue tongue skinks, for example, the melanistic uh, blue tongue skinks, uh, from what I've seen, I think I saw it on uh, one of Peter Birch's YouTube things. Um, they were showing that the, the hets come out and they're somewhat melanistic and then you know you breed them back and then you get a solid black animal um which is which is pretty nuts so i don't know fingers are crossed man it would be cool for sure to have an all-black ij that'd be sick mm-hmm. <laughs> well that's the fun in it you don't know what you're gonna hatch out yeah yeah absolutely so but even beside the morphs i think that uh ijs are way underrated um they're probably my, you know, uh, IJs and Inlands are probably my favorites. Um, I don't know. I just think that they're cool animals, and uh, they have they have they have a third color. Um, you know, where jungles just have two colors, IJs have a third color. They have that yellow. They have the black, but then they have the brown and the chestnut, and the, mm-hmm. you know, it's just orange in some of them, and you know, it's crazy, but. And the color change, depending on the time of day, is pretty drastic, too. I don't, I'm sure you notice that with your animals. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, if you're not used to that and you open up the tub, you're like, oh, my God, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. What happened? You know? Yeah, um, totally different animal. Yeah, it's just pretty cool, which is, uh, that's what I was saying about the um, Owen Pelly pythons. Uh, they kind of do something similar uh, to that. I, don't, I think they're more drastic than uh, IJs, but, um, you know, do you find that your uh, IJs um, go breed earlier in the year than than anything else that you're breeding? 
of the first two seasons they did, uh, but then this past season, um, my IJ female was actually the last to go, and um, my albino stuff and my uh, other crosses that I had done, that all that all went first. Um, right. I, I don't know the reason for it. Um, and now I, I just have the that IJ pairing together, and uh, they've been together for... I pair stuff up so early. I pair things up the end of October, and um, I haven't seen anything yet. I mean, they're laying together, so I guess something could be going on, but I don't think it is. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I noticed that, that my IJs are always the first to go in my collection. You know, I don't know um, if that's just coincidence or what, but they seem to be... Uh, you know, more in tune with, uh, you know, there's a slight breeze coming in the room and they're just like, okay, go time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I so. also don't have a, most of my stuff is either IJ or IJ crosses. I don't have mm-hmm. any pure coastals or, or pure jungles that I bred. So I, I mean, I'm probably not the best one to ask when it comes to, uh, like, a, a time frame on, on who goes first. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're growing your uh, other projects up, right? Yeah, m- most of my um, most of my projects are still pretty young, other than the IJ and the the albino stuff that I had. Yeah, that's cool. Um, there was I see questions popping like crazy over here, so I just I'm just gonna have to uh, hit on it. I'll go backwards. Um, Scott Rugen ask the question, uh, how the hell have you been able to stay so focused on Morelia? <laughs> um, how have I, I don't know, man. They're just the most awesome species of snake. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, that genus of snake to me, um, is the epitome of why pythons are cool. Um, I, I really, for me, they are, I, I guess it goes back to my experience with, um, you know, when I first got back into reptiles back in 2003, um, my idea, which I've talked about on the show, was is that I never had an idea of wanting to be a breeder. That never even entered my mind. You know, to me, it was just about keeping animals and observing them and, and just like, you know, for lack of a better word, I guess having it as a pet. You know, it's not a pet like you would have a dog, but, you know, to go into my, um, you know, reptile room and have naturalistic setups and see the animals doing what they're supposed to do, to me, that was really what what everything was about. And I had such a crazy group of animals. I mean, I had berms. I had African rocks. I had retics. I had balls. I had Borneos. I had... uh, Water dragons, bearded dragons, Nile monitor, uh, oh man, what else? Um, who, uh, trying to think what, uh, carpet pythons. Uh, I remember when I first got my, I guess my first carpet python was from a pet shop. And I remember not really ever hearing about them or seeing anything with them. Um, and I went and bought a what was what they were calling a jungle but you know now that i know it's clearly was some kind of cross it actually looked like a carpondro but it wasn't as crazy looking it was like one of those dirty dark carpondros you know what i mean and that's kind of like uh 
you know, what this snake looked like. Um, I, you know, I just thought that it was the coolest, coolest snake. And for some reason I was drawn to that. I think the head, like it had that real big carpet python head. I think that, uh, that's one of the coolest features about carpet pythons. I mean, when you see an adult carpet with that big chunky head and you know, IJs in particular, I think have the chunkiest of all the heads, you know, they have like big, big heads and, and, uh, you know, it's just very impressive. And I like how IJs have like that, uh, if you look at like the, 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 the lips, you know, all around the, the, the labial, uh, scales and the pits and all, it's like as white. And then a lot of times it'll have like black markings, kind of like what you see in a Boland's Python, you know, um, and I don't know, just very, very impressive. But anyway, in, in working with all these different kind of reptiles, like turtles and, uh, you know, I've worked with venomous, I've worked with, with all these different things. And, um, to me, carpet pythons were, man, I mean, I tell that story before about how, when I had to move, I took all my snakes to my parents' house and I had to put them in, uh, their basement. And basically I had them set up with a hot spot, but obviously the ambient temperature was cooler, you know, and I didn't really have a way to heat it up. Um, and the carpet pythons, man, they just thrived. They friggin' loved it. You know, <laughs> it was like, you know, business as usual. Um, other things got, you know, like berms, respiratory infections and, uh, you know, it was just, it was just a mess, but, um, you know, so the carpet pythons kind of stayed and I kind of filtered them out. And then, you know, as I sort of moved into the breeding part of it, you know, when I started listening to like reptile radio and stuff like that, I, I, I this whole new world of, uh, uh, you know, breeding was opened up. Like I didn't even know what a morph was or what het, het meant or anything like that. I remember going to a to a reptile show, it was when, um, they had the, uh, NARBC in, uh, Philly, you know, and I went there and I was like, what the hell does that mean? You know, I'm, I'm asking my dad, like, what does het, het mean? He's like, I have no idea, <laughs> you know? So I asked somebody and they're like, oh, it carries a gene. And I just remember being like, what, what, what do you mean? And then, you know, somebody explained it to me and I was like, oh, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, and and then listening to those guys, uh, kind of, you know, it kind of uh, opened up my eyes to this whole new world. And for a while, I was thinking about doing ball pythons, um, just to, you know, as breeding because they were kind of the hot thing. And uh, I don't know, I, I stumbled upon doing research. I stumbled upon um, Anthony Caponetto's site, and then I found that IJ Jag Bullwinkle and. It, everything changed from there. I think, I think, to answer Scott's question a little more um, directly, I think one of the important things when you're doing, uh, going to be a breeder, is that you have to have sort of a focus. Um, if you're just going to be a keeper and you know keep reptiles, um, you know, get get whatever you whatever your heart's desire is, but. Um, I think it's I think it's both good and bad. I don't I don't know what you think, Chris, but I think it's good and bad because the good part is is that you're focused on something and you're going to make advancements in that species with selective breeding, or you're gonna you're gonna take that those you know I think of guys like um, 
uh, I don't know, you'd think of uh, people that breed boas and they've been doing it for years and years and years, like Vin Russo or Tom Burke or any of those guys. And you see um, what they've done and where they've taken boas to a whole new level. I mean, when to me, when you look at carpet pythons, we're still, we're not even close, you know? I mean, in my eyes, uh, I think jungles have been selectively bred, but there's so much more potential in all the other subspecies and species. Um, I, I just think that, that you know, that, 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 kind of, that kind of idea keeps me focused and keeps me going. But the bad side of it is, is that sometimes you sort of get, you sort of paint yourself into this world, into this box. And um, I was thinking about, you know, things to talk about tonight. And um, one of the things that, uh, you know, has, has rekindled in me is that spark that I had when, when I first saw, you know, a snake or when I first had an experience with keeping a snake. And, you know, that's something that you're, you're forever chasing. You're forever chasing that spark. You're forever chasing that, that feeling that you had of that excitement when, when, you know, the snake ate or the, you know, the snake shed, or, you know, it's like, Oh my God, it's drinking out of the bowl. I can't believe it. This is crazy. You know? And, um, I think, I think that at least for me, it's like, you're always trying to get that feeling back again. And, um, I think for me, um, I've, well, when you sort of live in this world where you're just sort of, um, you know, you're so focused on Morelia or carpets or chondros or whatever it is, um, you, you sort of, that, that takes up all your time and, and that takes up, there's only so many hours in a day and you sort of lose sight of some of these other cool species that are out there. You know, I think that, I think that people, you know, that are into carpets probably are into Australian pythons as well. And they're probably familiar with Australian pythons, but I just got this book today, um, Australian dragons. I didn't even know that there was all these, uh, you know, different species of dragons. You know, to me, I'm, uh, my mind's blown that, that that's even real. And I know that probably sounds crazy to some people, like maybe they know that, but um, to me, that's that's something new. And when I'm looking at those things or talking to new people about those species um, that I don't know about, I feel that, that, that fire ignite again and, and I get excited and, um, you know, and, and I won't keep all those different kind of species, but it's cool to learn about them because I think when you learn about other species, you can apply what you learn to other species to the species that you keep. But I do think that it's important to have like one of those offshoot projects or something that you keep that's, it doesn't even have to be something that you breed necessarily, but something that you keep that's sort of this, this offshoot, uh, or something different than what you do, you know, and it should be what you like, man. I mean, if you like water pythons, then you should breed water pythons. It shouldn't be like, just because this is the cool thing to do or not do. If you like some kind of, you know, uh, little skink or if you like frogs or whatever it is, man, you, 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 you know, you, my famous saying, you do you boo, you know? (laughs) 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 Um, but, uh, I don't know if that answers the question. I don't know if you have anything. Uh, are we bringing the, the NPR drinking game back? What do you think about that? What's your thoughts on staying focused? Uh, 
Well, if I had, I don't, I'm kind of limited on space right now, so I, it's kind of forced me to stay focused on Morelia, although I do have a few other projects. I have a group of Stimpsons, but they don't take up much space at all. Um, and then I have the few animals that I've had for a really long time that I just can't bring myself to to sell off or get rid of, like my Euromastics and my Ball Python, which I've had for 15 years now. Um, but, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but but uh, the lack of space definitely keeps me focused on one type of animal. If I had more room, I'd probably get a little out of control with what I'd keep. <laughs> right. Um, because before I moved to where I am now, I had a little bit of everything. Um, I was keeping, um, I had the ball python, I had the Euromastics. Uh, then I got big into dart frogs, so I had a big group of dart frogs in a 40-gallon tank. And then I had a group of leaf-tailed geckos. Uh, I had tokay geckos. Um, it seemed like I was at the point where I, I didn't focus on any one thing, but I'd go to a reptile expo, and then I'd have to buy something different. Like, I, I could never buy um, another animal to pair up with something. I always kept buying something different because I really, I really didn't care about breeding then. Uh, but now that I'm more into the breeding side of it, I've definitely had to limit what I buy uh, to add to the collection. Uh, if I ever do have more space, uh, I, will, I will definitely add. Um, there's, there's so many more animals that I want to add to it, and it's stuff that that's so random that I probably never even reproduce that I just want. Like I've talked to you about it before. I really want egg-eating snakes. Um, right. I have no idea why. I've just I've always <laughs> liked them. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've worked with them in the past. Uh, work. Uh, they're really interesting. Um, but I don't know if I want to devote space to them when I can add another carpet python to the collection because I'll be breeding the carpet python. Uh, so um, I, I know you, you're, you like, set on Morelia, like, that's your favorite. Um, but I would definitely like to add more. Like I said, it's just a space that keeps me from adding more animals. Yeah, I think um I think with me it's probably I'm probably in the same boat as you. So, um I think that what has get, that space is 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 definitely a thing with me. Um because honestly, I probably if if I had unlimited space and um you know, could do it, I probably would really focus on keeping a variety um I think my focus would 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 move to Australian reptiles. Um, for some reason, I'm just drawn to them. I get I get excited. Uh, I get jazzed up. Uh, I, I you know it doesn't even have to be a carpet python, but to me, when I'm learning about an Australian reptile, I'm learning about a carpet python because um, to me, they're one and the same. They you know a lot of the reptiles that you would learn about could be prey for carpet pythons that, you know, and you can learn a lot about a carpet python, but why, by what it's eating and what the, you know, the habits of that are. If you know that uh, this species is, uh, you know, is hatching out or, or even if it's a mammal or whatever um, is available in abundance at one time, then you know that, that, you know, then the carpet python is going to be eating in, um, I don't know, there's a lot to learn um, you know, but, but I think that you can get stuck in that world and you don't realize what else is out there. You know, um, 
I think that uh that you always have to keep your your ear and your eye open. I think that's I think that's one of the cool things about Reptile Podcast. Um there's a whole bunch of them out there. And when you listen to something that uh for instance, uh I've been listening to a lot of uh past episodes of Gecko Nation Radio uh simply because uh I you know, I'm I'm curious um about I don't see myself being, uh, you know, getting leopard geckos or anything like that. But I'm just curious, uh, especially with when they're talking about, uh, you know, um, Australian geckos. Um, there's some really cool, like the uh, leaf gecko, leaf tail geckos uh, in Australia. I think they're just they're really cool looking, you know. And how cool would it be just to have one in your, you know, natural setup type of thing? Um, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I, blue tongue skinks. I know. I think uh, which is what the the episode was about. And I think Scott had answered. This is Scott Rugen. I think he asked something about which ones, which species or subspecies have I considered and why. Um, I think I like the northerns uh, when it comes to blue tongue skinks. I think my favorite is the shinglebacks, but um, they're not really too available apparently they're like all over down in australia but here in the states they're they're kind of rare but uh i don't know um i i really kind of uh you know zach's for years have been trying to get me into blue tongue skinks and i fought him every step of the way you know every step of the way i've been telling him no 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 not for me man not for me um and it wasn't until I watched his how I watched his took care of his reptiles when he was away in uh, Denmark, and uh, going over there and seeing his uh, skin collection, which is pretty amazing, by the way, um, really made me take a step back, you know, um, and and maybe think about it because they are cool reptiles, man. They're really neat. Um, I don't know. I, I always kind of didn't like the whole, you know, short legs and fat and stocky, but. That's kind of like me, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I don't know. So, I I don't know. Northerns are the ones that kind of stuck out to me um, uh, as the ones that I kind of liked. So, have you ever thought about wanting a blue-tongued skink? Uh, No. Um, I'm I'm actually trying to cut down on the lizards right now. Uh, I just... I don't have the time to uh, to take care of lizards. Um, they're definitely more high maintenance than um, than the snakes. I've also yeah. don't really have never really had an interest in in skinks. They just don't they just don't do it for me. Yeah, I I can understand that man because I, I like I said I was kind of in the same boat. I know that um, Zach had a had a group of. Um, uh, I don't remember the species, but they were, you know, um, they're like little tree skinks. And uh, he had like, they were they were a lot like little monitors, man. They were really kind of interesting and kind of cool. But uh, that's my fear with them is the maintenance that's involved. You know, for so long I've been a snake keeper and breeder. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit different when you get into uh, lizards. For sure, that have to be taken care of on a daily basis, and the UV and the and all that. But from what I understand, from what Zach's telling me and his setup is that you know skinks are super easy, man. You feed them once a week, cat food and or dog food or whatever he has, and you know it's like 
it's like 30 bucks a bag and a bag lasts them a month and mm-hmm. you know no uv they're in a rack <laughs> it's kind of it they're kind of simple it's kind of a simple setup i mean you would you would keep them like a snake and not really know the difference uh uh but you know from what i understand but I, you know at some point i guess he'll come on and he'll uh he'll talk a little bit more about that but um i don't know um so yeah i, I you know i i was i also have been thinking a lot about um you know one of the questions that i was going to ask people when they talk about the hobby or the or the reptile community or whatever um i think that uh over the past like maybe three or four weeks, I've kind of taken myself away from Facebook and haven't really been posting much or or looking at things. And I mean, I I, I do the uh, you know like Facebook messaging, and that's about the extent of my Facebook um, presence. Um, and there's two reasons for that. One, I've just been spending more time in my reptile room, and I think that um, <clears throat> if I had to choose between talking to to keyboard cowboys online or uh <laughs> or spending with reptiles, I'm gonna pick the reptiles, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um and I've been a lot a lot happier with it, you know? It's it's almost like I don't see drama anymore. But I don't know if it's because it's just kind of a quiet time and there's no drama going on or I'm just not paying attention to it. So one of the things that I've been thinking about is, you know, the question that you have to ask yourself is what have you done to make the community or uh business or however you want to look at it better? What have you done? What 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 have you contributed to make this a better group uh for everyone out there? And when I think about that, I think about young kids and I, I've always been uh excited uh when I when I talk to young kids about reptiles and um I've done it a couple times at like uh uh, my my nephews and nieces' schools and stuff like that, and you know, whenever they have a party or something, you know, we take a couple of reptiles and show them. And um, I think that that's important. And uh, I don't know. I just think that uh, you know, if I have a couple different kind of reptiles, and you know, I can take them and, and educate people about them. Uh, I think that that's a that's a good thing. So my mind has sort of been going in that direction as of late. Um, because it's about you know the reptiles are so much cooler when there's no drama involved. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, is is that uh, is, have you, have you found that the drama's still out there, or am I am I oh, am I missing it? Definitely out there, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I, I I unlike you also, I haven't uh, I haven't been to many of the groups recently, or um, I maybe posted here and there. But I haven't been hitting the groups as much as I used to. Um, I mean, it's it's hurt me too because I haven't posted any of my animals for sale, or yeah. updated updated stuff, or gotten my name out there as much as I should. I just needed a break from it, also. And it's not just the uh, the reptile stuff. I just needed a break from the the Facebook thing in general. Yeah, I mean, you know, it becomes it's like one of those things where you're sort of. Uh... I don't know. You're sort of like in this world and you don't really pay attention to what's going on right in front of you. And, and I don't know if I'm having my uh, get off my lawn, you little kids moment where I'm just like, you know, <laughs> I 
fighting technology every step of the way or whatever it is. But I just feel that, um, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back and look what's going on in the present and not really focus on, uh, you know, your phone or, you know, that kind of thing. But so, so I'm, I'm kind of with you. I've been kind of doing that with life as, and the same with, um, doing that in uh with my reptiles and i've been much happier you know i'm reading i'm reading all these different books i basically bought the whole group of uh guide to australian reptiles and uh i'm, I'm knee deep in that i got a a book today it was uh the complete guide to reptiles of australia um it's the fourth edition it looks pretty cool um uh, i'm just getting ready for my trip man you know um i just got to make stuff happen you know push yourself out of your comfort zone and, 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 mm-hmm. and just do it, you know? So yes. while we're on the topic of books, if you get a chance, you should pick up that, uh, that Bushmaster book. Um, I can't remember the full title. I but, did. Uh, oh, you have it. I, well, I didn't get it yet, but I did order it. That, is it good? Yeah, it's a, it's a good read. I, I'm probably about three quarters of the way through. Um, there's definitely some uh, husbandry in there that's going to make you uh, scratch your head when you read it. <laughs> <laughs> that's always good. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, let me see if there's a – well, I'm going to – I had a – there was another question that on the thread that I posted up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this. Um, so I think we talked about um, IJs and – uh, what's the best stuff to work with? Um, pairings, morphs, um, etc. I don't know. I think uh, there's the, you know, I'm going to say this about that question, and I don't know if you'll agree with me, Chris, but I think you will. That um, IJs, um, I think, like I said earlier, have uh, have a lot of potential, and if you can see that potential. Um, you can uh you and and you're willing to put in the time uh i think you could be rewarded very highly for your efforts um just by producing some stellar animals and uh you know it's a shame that that ijs sort of have been i don't know sometimes i think like they're sort of the stepchild of the carpet python world you know it's kind of like uh, yeah, it's an ij um but uh I think that there's there's tons of potential there, and uh, I think that uh, we haven't even scratched the surface. Uh, you know, we're talking you, when we, when you're talking about an exanic granite, and you're not even and it's not even selectively bred, and it looks the way it does. I mean, come on, that's just that's just insane. So I'm sure in the in our conversation we'll be talking more about IJs, and then Hesham. Um, he had a question, uh, so you got quite a few snakes and a full-time job and as well as other stuff that you do. How do you find time? Give us an average day a week in the EB world. Whew. Well, I work about, let's see, my job, I think I work 60, 70 hours a week, maybe. Um, and uh, I have a wife. And I have a collection. I think my collection is maybe 150 plus animals. Um, 
and I do the show. So, um, I don't know. I'm very, I'm very schedule oriented. So I kind of just kind of stay on the schedule. I kind of, I've broken my, my room up into sections. Um, and that puts me in my reptile room basically every day. And I find that when I do it in a smaller section, I get to spend more time, uh, looking at the animal. It's not just a whole type of like, you know, pull the snake, pull the tub out, change the paper, change the water, put the snake back in. There you go. Type of thing. Um, I'm able to have more interaction, I guess, to see, to make sure that the animal is, is doing good, you know, is, um, you know, take it out for a minute and handle it and look at it. And sometimes I weigh them and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, I do that. Basically I do that when I come home from work, I get up at four every morning, <laughs> 4 AM. And then, uh, I drive for, I think my, takes me about an hour or so to get to work, hour and a half. And, uh, you know, I'm listening to podcasts I do a lot of recording, uh, ideas and stuff as I'm driving, you know, um, in my phone, um, which helps with the show and ideas that pop in my head when I'm listening to other podcasts and stuff like that. Um, what else? That's basically it. I mean, you know, I come home, I run to the gym real quick. I come back, I take care of my snakes and usually takes me, I spend about maybe, maybe an hour, hour and a half in the reptile room every day. And, um, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be too overwhelming, but maybe that's because I have all snakes, <laughs> you know. Um, do you do you have trouble juggling uh, juggling your snakes and your life and all that? Um, baby season's a little rough, uh, but I kind of have a like a I have a system down now where uh-huh. I'll only work in my snake room on my days off. And I usually split it up where I do, um, like, babies one day, and I'll do my adults another day. Um, cleaning for my adults isn't that tough because I I have naturalistic setups. So okay. I quickly spot clean. Um, I have a pretty good system with cleaning water bowls, so I can, I can blow through all that stuff really quick. Um, it's just sometimes I, I do it all day at work, so the last thing I want to do is come home and deal with animals. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's usually how I spend my days off. But I, now that I have the system down, it's not that bad. Yeah, I think that's probably the key. You know, for a while I did have, I did struggle with it. I did have, um, uh, you know, I would try to do my snake room all in one day and, you know, that would be my day off. You know, I have off one day a week and it was, you know, you would spend it just cleaning for eight hours. And then, you know, uh, I don't know. It just, it, when, when I was doing it like that, it felt like that it wasn't enjoy. It wasn't, it wasn't enjoy. I didn't enjoy it. Um, and, uh, I had to change, you know, so I, I do a lot of things along those lines, like with water bowls, I use like the plastic cups as inserts, so I don't even, I don't clean a water bowl, they just get tossed, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's it. I used, um, to, that, I used to do it that way, but I had ba- I had snakes knocking them over and, and babies making a mess, uh, so it was just easier, I bought a, 
big case of small crock dishes, and um, now I just, you know, I clean them. Every time I do water changes, I, I soak the the water dishes in a bucket of bleach and then refill them. Um, and that, that works better for me than having to deal with the, the disposable deli cups. I thought the disposable deli cups would work, but I didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I try... I. I... I find that um, when I use the 16-ounce, that's what I use. When I use those for baby carpets, they also use it as a perch. So they sort of mm-hmm. perch like up on the lid. And um, they're not able to tip them over because uh, it can't tip over in their tub. So it kind of worked out. Um, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, coming up with the system and I think that's, that's really kind of important, however you do it. Um, but you don't, you you don't want it to be to where it becomes, you know, work and you don't enjoy it because then you're not going to want to do it. You know, that's, I think that's just the key is that, uh, you know, uh, really, uh, really enjoying it. You know, I, I feel like that's my sort of my getaway, my, uh, my relaxation, my, I guess in a way like your, my yoga or something like that, something that, you know, puts me straight again, you know, I go in the room and kind of just zone out and then, it, then I'm good to go. So, I also and, uh, let it interfere with, with other things. Um, sometimes I'll put the animals on the back burner for the day to go do something else just to get away from it. So that when I do get back to it, it, you know, it feels good to do it. Rather than uh, sometimes it all it feels like you know it's a chore and and you you're stuck in a room dealing with it rather than than out enjoying yourself. So I, I do try to balance that and then my you know outside life too. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily for me, I have an awesome wife, and um, you know the way we have it situated and everything kind of works out that you know i think the only day that i don't go in my reptile room really to do any cleaning or maintenance or anything is wednesday kind of set aside that day as you know um hands off you know and then on like tuesday on my day off like i'll wake up early and i'll go in there and 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 work and then by the time that she wakes up you know i'm already done so um that's never a problem but uh yeah so I hope that answered that question. Um, but, you know, when you put uh, – when with doing the show, now that's a whole nother that's a whole nother that's a whole nother thing because that takes quite a bit of work. Um, and it doesn't seem like it would, but it really does. I mean, you know, contacting the guest and getting the uh, outline together of the questions and what's the topic's going to be. And, you know, as much as me and Owen sometimes sound like – knuckleheads um trying to know what the t- what the subject is about and do some research on it and um you know it's it's not an easy feat um but i think it's important man i think that um you know i think if if we're helping just one person out there i think that uh the job is done um i think that uh you know getting people exposed to some of the people that breed these awesome animals uh, is really important. So, I don't know. That's why we do yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how you guys do it every week because just for me to come on today, you know, <laughs> I, was here, I was sitting here 
prior to the show going, oh, man, what the hell am I going to talk about? You know, I I only got to be on for a little bit. Right. Yeah. I was, uh, I was actually talking to a friend of mine just prior to calling, and I uh-huh. told her, I said, I'm, I'm calling into the show, and I, I told her that I was a guest on in the past, and I was explaining to her the, the whole thing with the calendar contest. I was showing her the pictures, and um, she was like, oh, don't worry, you'll do fine. You're, you know, it's something you're passionate about. And I started laughing hysterically <laughs> because, she, because she said passionate. Uh-huh. And then, so, so then I explained to her the whole thing about you and passion. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? I sort of like kind of steered away. I don't know if people have noticed, but I've kind of steered away because it's like I started listening to to people in the reptile world, and that's like this overused buzzword that's like I get it, you know, and it's kind of like I'm trying to think of a different way to say it, you know, but um, I don't know. Sometimes I think that that word is if, – if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm making sense on that one, but it just seems like – Everybody says it, you know, I'm passionate about this, you know, but, uh, I am a very passionate guy, man. I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve and sometimes I try to bite my lip and try not to, uh, let my emotions, uh, get the better of me. But, you know, there are times where I'm, you know, I've had my classic rants where I get on, get on my soapbox and, you know, say my piece and, you know, then get off. But, I think that's just because I'm getting to be a grumpy old man. You know what I mean? Like you get to that age where it's just like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm just a grumpy old guy. But um, you know, uh, look, they're doing shots now because I'm uh, saying we're saying passion. You know, just uh-huh. keep, sh- did, keep shooting it up, guys. Get, did I just get everybody to drink because I brought yeah. it up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good job, good job for sure. Um, so yeah, let me see what else I have on my list here to talk about. Um, let me get through these questions real quick. I, I was scrolling up. I think Scott Eper sent me a, sent me a couple, and we can uh, hit on them. Um, oh, there was a there was somebody talking about the Labyrinth IJ. Um, yeah, I don't think that thing will ever be proved out, man. Um, just my two cents from talking to people that 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 have worked with that project. I mean, that there was a bunch of those animals that hatched out will Leary hatched them out. Um, they were passed on to multiple breeders and nobody has been successful with them. So I don't know. <laughs> they just don't want to breed, I guess. I, I don't know what the deal is, but, um, I think the only one that was successful with breeding them was Yasser who bred it to a Jag because I think, I think when he first came back onto Facebook, which I haven't seen him on Facebook in a long time. But when he came back on the Facebook, he had posted up one for sale. And yeah, I, I had actually looked at that animal. Um, I don't even remember how it how the conversation started, but at some point he had offered it to me for sale. Um, but because there was Jag in it, I didn't take it. Right. Yeah, and I, I kind of like I, – I, I'm – I kind of did the same thing and it was kind of like, you know, going back and forth on like, oh man, did I, did I make a mistake with that? Because if it's, even if it's a cross morph, you can still, you know, it will never be pure IJ, but it's still a cool looking snake. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that that's kind of a, 
a dead end project, but uh, uh, you know, hey, maybe people will prove me wrong. You know, so um, let's see, what else do we got? Uh, the Labyrinth IJ, da, da, da. NPR drinking game. <laughs> oh, hey, Scott's got some egg eater snakes. If you want them. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Um, shingle man, I don't know, some anacondas. I thought there were some questions here. Maybe not. Maybe I missed it. Um, oh, here we go. Yeah, I thought there was it. Who? Scott says, do you anticipate the Lacey Act will be expanded to further limit trade? And if so, should a proactive approach be taken to prevent its damage to the industry? What area of the industry could be best improved? Um, huh. Okay. Do I anticipate the Lacey Act will expand to further um, animals? Um, I think... I don't I think that that animal rights groups ultimate goal is to end the um pet trade altogether. Uh I think uh that the that the downside to that type of thing is is that so I think of my story back when I was 6 years old and I was telling this on GTP Keeper the other day. Um, I was six years old, and I would go into the Natural History Museum in Philadelphia. Uh, I was going to see the dinosaur bones because I just was, uh, I was, for lack of a better word, passionate at that young age about dinosaurs. I mean, I had dinosaur books, dinosaur models, you know, anything dinosaur-related, I was in. Um, and I was going to see uh, the dinosaurs. And I remember when I was a, I remember when I was a kid watching like nature shows with my dad, and I remember seeing like marine iguanas. To me, that was the one. It seemed like every nature show had like marine iguanas in it. I don't know why. It was like Komodo dragons and marine iguanas. You know, you never saw like any other kind of reptiles. Maybe I was watching the wrong shows. I don't know. But, um, and to me, they look like dinosaurs. You know. And uh, I just thought that they were really, really cool. So I go to this museum, and the dinosaur exhibit is closed. And I'm really bummed out, um, you know, because I was so looking forward to it. Well, they're doing one of those animal exhibits where they're taking out animals and showing you and telling you a little bit about each animal that they take out. Well, they pull out a ball python. um, And, you know, I'm amazed. I'm just, like, blown away. So they asked... You know, somebody wants to come up so they they can hold the snake. I raise my hand, and of course, my mom was not excited about it because she didn't want to have to hold the uh, five foot long ball python. But you know, I was in seventh heaven. Um, I I go up and I what the hell are you playing, Pac Man or something? <laughs> what? Are you playing Pac Man or something? I just hear doot doot. Dude. <laughs> no, I, uh, <laughs> I put my phone on speakerphone and then I was trying to take it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, um, I didn't think you could hear that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, so I, I go up, I hold the ball python, I'm amazed, I'm blown away. I'm just from that point forward, snakes were it for me at that young age, you know. And um, I remember my dad bringing home a garter snake for me, and I remember just staring at that thing. I had it in one of those little critter keeper things, and I just would stare at it for hours and hours, probably stressing the hell out of the poor thing. But um, I just would watch it and watch it move, and like I couldn't, I couldn't understand how it moved without legs. I'm like, it doesn't have legs. How does it move? You know, and just like being so young and just being amazed, and you know, always, you know, like what I was talking earlier about keeping that that first initial spark going about what got you into reptiles and like you're forever chasing that and that uh, wonder and amazement and you know all that kind of stuff um so um I, I, how did this turn into the lacy i don't even know how i got onto this i'm like all twisted around uh help me out here um so i guess what i was saying is is that Oh, I know. I know what I, my point was. My point is, is that um, in caring for then snakes and led me to care about animals, which led me to care about the environment. Um, and I think that even though is it I mean, we could debate back and forth on whether it's right or wrong to keep animals in captivity or not in captivity. I mean, you know, I can I can definitely see both sides of that coin, you know, um, but. I think at the end of the day, it's doing more good than it is bad. But I don't think that animal rights groups think that way. And I think that they think that we should not interact with animals at all unless, it, you know, uh, I, you know, I don't think they don't think we should eat them. They don't think that we should keep them. We don't think, you know, none of that. Um and which, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, Chris, but that's kind of your job. So I'm sure that you feel very strongly about, you know, that, that whole type of thing. And I'm sure that, you know, you see on a daily basis the good that, that animals in captivity do. And, you know, and then, I, and then I wonder about, you know, on the other side of that. I mean, if you're keeping these species in captivity, um, it's real good that you want to save the animals, but if you don't save the environment, you're not going to save the animals. If they don't have an environment mm. to be in, what the frig is the point? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can t- talk about saving the pandas all day long or the polar bears or whatever you want to save, but if they don't have, you know, uh, the, the the environment, then what the hell's the point? So, I don't know. I think that o- overall, like, it really changed my outlook on the world and the environment that that we're in and and really opened my eyes. So I think that if it had that effect on me, I'm sure it had that effect on many other people. And I think that um, we should probably do more as a reptile community to, 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 to do that. I think that a lot of times, I think the thing that hurts us the most is that we get caught up in this drama bullshit about, you know, um, you know, I think we just don't, for la- uh, the bill says it the best, tolerance. I mean, we really have to learn to tolerate each other. Just because somebody's keeping things different doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong. And just because somebody wants to try something different doesn't mean that they're necessarily wrong. I mean, I think about, you know, we talk about the, uh, I'll give you my own experience. So, you know, when you follow a cookie cutter 
type of approach to keeping animals and you think that you're that you're going to get results they're not cakes you're not baking a cake man you can't open a recipe book and say step one and then at the end you're going to get this this thing you have to pay attention to what's going on and i think in my first year second year of breeding i learned that lesson very hard because i thought that if i approach it this way it's going to work but it didn't because i'm not in the same spot that that person was in and I think we try to say it a lot of times on, on the show that um, we just try to talk about how – I think that's why we ask that question over and over again, you know, like how do you keep and how do you breed? Because I want people to be exposed to the different ways of doing things. And sometimes, I mean, there are basic things that you have to do in order to be successful with breeding a species. But I think that, um, you know – you have to be able to look at the animal that you're keeping and adapt your conditions to make that animal as comfortable as can be, if that makes sense. So I know me and you, Chris, we keep completely opposite, I think. You keep very, like, warm, but you're successful. You know yeah, I, mean? I so, have uh, – I, I was just going to say, uh, I don't know anyone that keeps their animals similar to the way I do it um, in terms of <laughs> – in terms of temperature, I mean, my I let, and a lot of it is I don't, I can't control what happens in that room. I mean, I can a little bit, you know. I I have an, I put an air conditioner in there for the really hot summer days. Um, but that, the room where my animals is it's all windows. There's no solid wall, so it acts like a greenhouse. So in the summer it gets really hot, and in the winter it gets really cold, but. I've kept my animals in there for now five years, and every single breeding season, I've been really successful. I've never lost an animal, and uh, I've never had RIs. So for me, it worked. I mean, I don't know. Will it work for somebody else? I, you know, I don't know. Um, and I try to always buy young animals so that they have they can adjust. You know, that they seem to acclimate better. Right. Um. But yeah, I keep my stuff so much different than how you do. Yeah, and yet we both have success, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, it's really kind of important to kind of look at that. So if, for instance, if you go on the Internet and you're saying that this is how you keep your animals and then I go on and I'm like, you know, you're an asshole, you know. I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> <That doesn't laughs> what does that prove? I mean, mm -hmm. you, your your animals are not sick. And you're producing, uh, they're reproducing. So obviously, in order to reproduce, they have to be healthy. Um, I don't know. It just, it just seems foolish and silly to me that we just get caught up in this, this bullshit of, um, of it's just nonsense. You know? I mean, oh, I, 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 I can, if if I listen to everyone that had a problem with how I kept animals, I mean. Just the fact that I keep my animals on natural substrate, I can't believe the problems I have with that. Really? Um, yeah. Everyone, everyone says everything's going to get impacted. I'm, I'm killing my animals. I'm taking a chance with their life. Uh, I give up. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that's, like, like you said, I do me, you know? Yep. And, and you're successful. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and, and, Darren was uh, one of the questions that he posed is uh, 
what do you propose the solution is for dealing with the growing number of keyboard warriors? Honestly, um, I think you just ignore them. I think you just got to ignore it. Yeah, you just ignore them. The problem is, is that, you know, those people in particular, I think, I think in this is just not in the reptile world. I think that this is just in, in the world in general. I mean, you know, I, I think those people, you know, they don't have a voice. They don't, and, and now they have, you know, now they can be the voice all of a sudden, and they're going to just, they're going to let you know what they think. And I think that mm-hmm. that argument, and I get why. I understand because you got new people that come in and they and they read this kind of stuff, um, and uh, you know they think that that's what it is, and it really isn't. And um, it's important to sort of set people in the right direction. Um, so I mean, nothing's worse than if you're pointed in the wrong direction and you have, you know, you 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 totally have unsuccess uh, you know unsuccessful keeping or breeding or or whatever it would be and you're totally turned off to the whole thing and you just you get out you get you get rid of your animal and you're like oh no this ain't for me man this is this bullshit whereas if you would have had um somebody sort of steer you in the right direction you possibly um you know you you could have had success, and when you have success, I mean, come on, man, you can't tell me. I'm I still think another milestone for me is when the first time that you hatch, watch an egg hatch in your place. It's just like it's a crate. If you see that, you're locked in, man. You're locked mm-hmm. in. That's it, man. You're locked in. It's you've now become a lifer, in my opinion. You know, and unless Unless the bullshit becomes too much, um, and then I see people get out because they can't handle that part of it, and I don't blame a lot of people. They're just like, you know what? Screw this. And maybe they keep a couple reptiles still, but they just get out of the community, and you don't really know uh, what they are or, or what they're doing or anything like that. Um, so I don't know, man. I think my 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 thing would be to ignore them, shut them down, kick them out of groups. Don't pay attention. You know what I mean? You know, I just, just like, I don't know. I, and I don't know if that's the right thing to do or not, but I just kind of, I don't, very rarely do I get involved in that kind of drama bullshit. And, um, especially now I'm just done with it. I, I just, I can't be bothered with it. And I don't know if, uh, you know, those guys are down in Australia. So maybe, you know, the, the reptile hobby is kind of young for those guys. So maybe they're going through those growing pains. I, I don't know. But um, I think once people start getting into just doing it for money or like chasing this, you're basically, it's it's ego driven, you know? I mean, that's what it really comes down to. You want to be the world's first to do this or that, you know? To, like you take something like a helmet hair scrub. Do, you know, I have a helmet hair scrub um, and honestly, I've kind of like really kind of taken my focus off of breeding them and really just keeping them. And if they breed great, but it's not like a, they're just a beautiful animal to me, you know? And, um, I don't know. I, I it's not something, I, you know, where you have other people that, Oh, I got to be the first guy to do this. You know? Yeah. yeah I don't know. I mean, I guess I understand it to a certain, you know, because I think we all have egos to a certain extent. Um, but, uh, 
I don't know. I, when you let that take over, I think that's when you, you run into to trouble and problems, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? How do you uh, you think that uh, there's too many egos in the in the reptile reptile game, or what? Yeah, but I mean, having an ego isn't necessarily a bad thing. But um, I think it's, I think the bigger problem is uh, the being able to be like anonymous and just you know post and say what you want and and trash everybody for doing what they do. Uh, but like you said, that that's found everywhere, and you just have to be able to ignore it. I mean, you could go on any forum, whether it's reptile-related or news-related, and just seeing some of the comments that people post, and you'll never see it under their real name. So it's not even worth giving them the attention they want, and people always do. And it's crazy to see some of the things that turn into fights over it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's when you just... I mean, it's so easy to just block, to ignore them. Uh, and uh, I think the less attention you give them, the better. They'll they'll just go away on their own. Yeah. Yeah, because that's kind of what they're feeding off of. It's mm-hmm. kind of feeding off that attention type of thing. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, let's see. What else do we have on the uh, agenda for tonight? Um, let's see. So... One of the things that um that I wanted to talk about as far as um my season goes and what I got paired or planned or however you want to look at that. Um I'll just pull my <laughs> my notebook as Owen calls it, the big uh <laughs> the big book with the quill pen and all that stuff. Um Are we gonna have enough time to get through this book? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I, what I've, what I've been trying to do, um, and I haven't been a hundred percent successful yet, but, um, I think, uh, I've, I got this idea from two people. Um, I saw Ralph Davis do this and I saw, um, Anthony Caponetto do this. And the idea was, is that I wanted to kind of keep a breeding diary on my website obviously uh the first couple years i had a lot of growing pains and as far as keeping it up to date and and actually being able to update it and 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 uh you know it can be quite a chore um i think this year i'm going to have it nailed down to where i think i should be successful and basically what i do is i put all the pairings on the page and then I just walk you through the step process so you can see, um, especially if you're going to buy an animal from, say, that clutch, you'll be able to see exactly um, what happened and how I did it. Um, and um, I'd, I also, when you click on, you know, the animal, you see the the pedigree, and then I also put a thing when the if when the clutch hatches and shows you the offspring, the animal and the eggs, you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm trying to make it to where people can just go to my website if they want the lineage info and they want the all that kind of stuff. It should be all right there. So hopefully this year I'm gonna I'm gonna have better better luck with it. I think the system that I have now should be should be good. I'm also working on. Um, I have a lot of the text done, um, a breeding page. 
so to speak, how I approach breeding carpet pythons in particular. And uh, I just need pictures. So, like, as I go through the season, I'm going to be taking pictures and of what's going on and, and all the different steps. Um, that was also from a ball python breeder that um, Mark Mandick, um, he has a website, and basically on his website he has his approach to breeding and it sort of walks you through step by step. Anthony Caponetos had uh something similar um which I thought was just a uh, I did you check out the breeding page when he had it? I'm yeah, sure I did. actually um that was what I based all my original breeding off of um I printed all that information out. And right. I want to say I think Will Bird had something similar. Yep. Yeah, he had like an article that he did, I think, and uh, he had that up. I think it was called Propagating Carpet Pythons yeah, or something like that. that. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of the idea. That's kind of what I'm shooting for. So hopefully here we are. Um, I, I well, My first clutch was in 2012, so, you know, here we are, 2016. Hopefully uh, I got it nailed down. Um, but basically I break it up into a couple things. Um, I was kind of bummed out last year that for whatever reason, my, uh, M pen girl and M pen male didn't go. Um, and when we, when I say M pen, that stands for Michael Pinnell. Um, he's the guy that, um, his business is Python and a pear tree. And, uh, Michael is very big into the, uh, pure, um, subspecies of carpet pythons and he works with a line of carpet pythons or coastal carpets called uh that that trace back to uh lemke uh line bloodline carpets coastals i'm sorry coastal carpets and the beautiful animals beautiful beautiful animals um i think what i did was is that i didn't have enough weight on the female i didn't feed her enough uh, and I didn't feed the male enough, and I saw some action, but um, for whatever reason, they didn't go. Um, and I think this is the other important part of trying to put this information up there, and I thought, you know, you don't want to put it out there that, I think a lot of times, again, I don't, you don't want to be portrayed as an unsuccessful person, but I think we're doing a disservice to the people that are just coming into it or trying to breed in a way that, they they think that the breeders, you know, I'll take Owen, for example. So if Owen goes and, like, all he talks about, and I'm not saying that he did this. I'm just using his example. All he talks about is the good things that happened with him, and he never talks about the bad things. Well, you're going to think that Owen's the greatest breeder in the world. And when you go and you try to breed and you run into these problems, which we all do, I mean, if you breed snakes long enough or reptiles long enough or breed anything long enough, shit, if you breed people long enough, you run into problems, <laughs> you know. Um, so you don't talk about that. I don't know. People seem to think, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong. And sometimes maybe they're not doing something wrong. It's just that's the way the cookie crumbles, you know. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Um, so... I'm going to try to put the good, the bad, and the ugly in there, um, you know, and uh, so people really see what the real deal is. But anyway, um, these M pens, um, I, if I think back to the uh, to the history of these animals, I think I've said it a couple times on the show, but back in '09, I was looking to pick up some coastal carpets, and um, 
Michael had these, uh, you know, striped coastal carpets that he was working on, and they were beautiful. I mean, they were beautiful, beautiful, beautiful animals. Um, and I was too late to uh, get them. Somebody else had already picked them up. And uh, that person ended up, you know, he grew they, he grew them up for a while, and then he ended up selling them. And um, he contacted me because uh, he knew how much that I wanted those animals. And I ended up getting that trio. And uh, I tried to breed her last year, and uh, I was unsuccessful. Now, the one clutch that I did get from the other girl um, ended up going bad. And I think that just because she didn't have enough weight on her, uh, which led me more to think about the whole cycle feeding approach that I do. Um, the, the more and more that I think about, um, I don't know, life seems to be, life in general needs to go through cycles to me. It seems like, um, you need a time where, you know, where it grows and a time where you, you know, you don't, um, you, you got to clean the system out, so to speak. And this, again, this could be total bullshit, (laughs) you know, it could be me just making it up, but this is just kind of things that I'm thinking about. Um, so I think that when the, the snake goes through a time where, you know, it's allowed to sort of, uh, you know, cleanse itself and, 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 and clean itself out, so to speak. And, you know, you look at anything, um, you know, the, even with people, I mean, the more calories that you eat, the less, you know, it, it sort of equates to, um, years off your life, so to speak. So people that eat and eat and eat and eat and eat, you know, probably not going to live as long as somebody that, you know, doesn't, uh, watches their calories, so to speak. Uh, and is real, um, real observant of, of what they're eating and, and such. So, um, anyway, with, with that girl in particular, I, I don't think that she had enough and she did, she did breed, she did produce, she did produce a clutch uh, the eggs were good for a little while. Um, she was, she did have one egg that was stuck in her that I was able to get out, was able to palpate out, um, which was very scary because I think it was the year before Owen walked me through a problem when I had a caramel girl that I think I bred too young. Um, and she looked like she was just about on that, on that verge, you know, so I took a chance and, um, she ended up having one egg stuck in her. Luckily, Owen was uh, able to palpate it out. Um, I don't know if she'll be able to breed again or not. Um, I don't know. We'll see. But <clears throat> that was uh, that was a scary experience for sure. So uh, I, I I added the food. I started in June and really really pounded the food to these girls and to the male and. Uh, you know, um, hopefully, uh, I'll be able to get a clutch from them. And the idea, they have like these lavender colors and they're just, they're just beautiful, 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 uh, snakes. Um, and there's nothing special about them and probably, you know, people won't be banging the door down to, uh, to get them. But, um, I don't know, man, it's, I'm pretty excited about that, that pairing. Um, and then the following year, I have a girl that I picked up from, uh, Eric Hernandez, um, who has a similar look, but unrelated. Um, 
and hopefully uh, I'll be able to outcross um, to to that girl and, uh, you know, keep that selective breeding going because they kind of have this similar color and pattern. And um, the one girl, she I swear she looks like she could pass for like a jag with some of the way that her, you know, how reduced her pattern is. Um, so there's that. And then the other coastal pairing that I'm pretty excited about is I picked up in um, – in 09, I picked up this uh, crazy-looking coastal that uh, I got from Jason Balin, and it reminds me of – it's got, like, a fishnet pattern, but for whatever reason, it reminds me of, like, a diamond – like, a gamma jag, um, but not yellow like that. It's more of a red and more of a bone color. Um, anyway, this animal was produced from – he had this pairing that he was calling a tiger jag sib to a tiger jag sib. Um, yeah, I know that bad word, sib. <laughs> uh, so a tiger jag sib to a tiger jag sib, and he produced these amazing, I mean, they're amazing. I have a, a few of them, um, animals. Uh, and I think when I was talking to him in Tinley, I was telling him about this pairing because I have a red jag. Um, that I picked up from Luke Snell, and I'm breeding him to her. And he was telling me that when he did that, he did a similar pairing, and that's where he hatched out those red uh, coastals that almost look albino. Um, you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't think I've ever seen that. No? Yeah, they're pretty They're pretty crazy looking. I'll have to, uh, to send it. I think the one picture might be his avatar on Facebook, um, his profile pic. Um, but amazing amazing coastal so i'm hoping that uh something happens with that i think i think uh, if i just produce more coastals that look like her and keep refining that look um i think people would be blown away every time i show that snake to people they're just like what the hell is that you know and they can't believe that it's uh a coastal you know so again it just shows me the potential that these animals that you know coastals and ijs and uh, inlands that uh, there's a lot of potential uh, there to be worked with. So, you know, that's as far as my coastal stuff goes. Um, we talked about the IJ stuff. Um, and then I have a whole bunch of uh, crazy morphs and carpet, uh, you know, carpet crosses and such. Um, I'll tell you one that I'm super excited about is a caramel heck granite to a caramel jag heck granite. I think that's going to be uh, pretty cool. Um, I know that's blasphemy to you, to you as an IJ guy. <laughs> no, I have I have some of that stuff here. Oh, that's right. You have I, jack crosses. I, I forgot. Yeah, I have, jack, I have a bunch so. of crosses. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man. There's something about the way that those animals look. I think they're just they're just crazy. Um, let me see if I can. If I don't know if I have a picture of of that in my uh, phone here. Let me see if I can post it up on the uh, on the thing there. But um, um, oh, I don't have it. Damn it. Yeah, I was gonna. Well, this is the here it is. I'm gonna post it up over in the uh, the chat. But this is a. Uh, 
caramel jag het granite and just that look alone with that orange it kind of reminds me of those orange pepper coastals jags that uh australia has um but uh it's just an amazing animal and to think that if you could get granite and caramel and have it be a super caramel and oh man that's just going to be crazy so and then put jag into it like granite jags i don't know about you obviously you must like granite jags because you're trying to produce them right yeah that's that's one of my uh my biggest upcoming projects that that i mean they've been around for a while now but it's something that i've personally wanted to produce and you know starting from the beginning rather than just buying one and and producing them i've uh i put the time and picked all the animals that i wanted and and really started that project from the beginning that's awesome yeah that's a cool animal man you know you know i i don't know sometimes i worry about like if we get like uh like ball pythons where you're just putting like so many um so many genes into one animal, does it lose something? You know what I mean? Like, does it lose mm. something? You know? And it's like, this animal is valuable. Yeah, it has six genes in it. But then you look at an animal that has two genes in it, and it's just like mind-blowing, you know? So, which is better? You know, I think personally the one that looks better, you know? Because you're looking at the ball python world now. You look at something like, you know, say a banana, I don't know, a banana pinstripe or something like that, you know, where... It's like a, a cool-looking animal, and then you'd look at something that's like, uh, you know, a cinnamon-pied uh, leopard pinstripe, and you're like, okay, but it's ugly, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I guess, yeah, the breeding potential is there, but I don't know. I just, just, I, I, I don't, I hope we don't get to a point where, you can't just appreciate a granite jag. It seems like we're sort of at that point with a jag, you know. Remember, remember when jags first came were around and how excited everybody was just to produce a jag, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was like a jungle jag was like, oh my god, you know. And then you're <laughs> like, this <laughs> is like mind blown. And then you know, it's like diamond jungle jag. You're like, oh my god, I quit, you know. And now it's just kind of like, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, that's cool, you know. So uh, I hope that people don't lose that. Um, but, um, yeah, I hope to produce. So what would come out of that, what I would hope to produce out of that would be a super caramel granite jag. That would be the ultimate goal. So I don't know if the the morph gods will shine down on me and I will be blessed with such crazy animal. I don't know if you'll be able to tell if it's a super car. I'm like, I don't even know. How will you tell? I don't know if you'll be able to tell or you won't tell. I mean, I don't know. So it should be interesting. Well, I'm sure Uh, you'll hold on to all of them to uh, throw them (laughs) up and see. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I was talking to Nick about that the other day. Nick, Nick and me were talking on the phone for a while and, um, when when we were talking, uh, he was saying about, he's like, yeah, man, I don't really see you, like, putting your snakes out for sale. He's like, are you selling snakes? I'm like, yeah, Nick, I really haven't been pushing them. And I'll tell you why the reason that I don't really try to push them and I kind of hold on to them is because I'm trying to get a feel for what they look like as they grow, if that makes sense. So when a customer comes to me at some point, I want to be able to say, this is the one you want. You know, or this one is not going to turn out that good or, you know, I don't think you can get that from anything but experience. 
you know, and I know it kind of sucks holding on to all these babies, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm learning, trying to learn for myself, um, you know, and plus two, part of it is I don't want one to slip away that, uh, <laughs> that one you regret. Yeah. They regret, you know, so, so that's, uh, that's one parent, one parent that I'm going to be doing again. I know you'll be excited about this is my albino. albino. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think people, that's probably the one thing that people have contacted me more about than anything else is the citrus, uh, tiger head albino. I was trying at Tinley to pry that animal out of your hand, (laughs) but I think I would have had to get you pretty drunk to talk Uh, you into it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know if that would work, but maybe, you know, everything has a price, but. Um, I don't know. It seems to me, right? I was talking to uh, somebody about this yesterday. Um, I have this albino. I imported uh, him from um, from Paul Harris, UK pythons, and it doesn't really have any type of pattern per se. Um, very reduced pattern, and almost looks. Uh, it's very, very. Uh, white looking um and that's the sire i call him dex and the female citrus tiger was the first one that i purchased in 09 and she's maybe five feet that's it you know maybe um and she you know some of the citrus tigers that i have have not retained their color um some of them have you know, dulled out a little bit, but her in particular, uh, she has kept her color. Uh, she is a bright yellow tiger. Um, and for whatever reason, those two made magic. I don't know. I got really, really, really nice striped babies, uh, from them too, which is weird because like I said, that the albino doesn't really have you know, any striping. I don't know if there's striping in the lineage of that animal. Um, I don't Were know. those babies so. that you had at Tinley? Was it from that pairing? Yep. Yep. I think I had one baby that wasn't striped, but the color was insane. Um, so I think that's going to just, for me, the idea is to make a really high contrast type of albino. And when I looked at... Um, if you look at, again, this is how I get ideas from this type of thing, and maybe people will learn from this or not, but this is where you can look at other other things and sort of get an idea. I would look at albino ball pythons, and you would have some that were very high contrast, and then you would have some that were just, you know, just your plain albino ball python. And um, I kind of followed that, that idea, and... Um, hopefully the results will, you know, will be, will be killer. So, um, I don't know. That's kind of, kind of what I'm after. Really, really high contrast because I think with albino, when you want, especially with the stripe that's going down the back, you want that to have contrast, you know, and I'm hoping that like with the different colors of the citrus tiger and the blushing that comes through that, you know, that will translate really nicely into an albino uh, version so albino tiger is really the the end game with that so um 
and I'm going to breed that same male to a different female um, so that I can have somewhat unrelated animals. So um, that would be tiger head albinos for, you know, and to see, I'm curious to see if this different female, she's the uh, high contrast tiger that um, Zach gave me that was produced by uh, Ted Thompson. Um, and basically what he did is he bred high contrast Queensland coastals to a Balin tiger. It's kind of similar to what happened with the citrus tigers. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I'll get some cool results out of that as well. So that, that's a cool project. Um, and then I think my offspring, maybe, maybe not this, probably in 2017, um, they might, they'll be ready to, uh, to breed. So that should be cool. Um, what else? Let's see. I'm trying this again. Uh, this would be the, uh, what would this be? The third year I'm trying this pairing. Um, albino jag to exanic to make double hats. Um, and you've never female, gotten that pairing? No. Uh, the male, that is a proven male. The male albino jag was one of Paul Harris's uh, proven breeders um, that he used. He's neuro as hell, man. Woo, that thing is loopy. <laughs> but he breathes and he eats and I don't know, he's just he's just a loopy snake. Um the female exanic, um I've talked about this on the show before, like the um the head on a carpet when it when it uh when it's mature has that they just have a big bulky head and what I've seen with her in particular is that the head is not correct, but the body is correct. So that her size is right. So she's a big snake, but the head wasn't right. This year, finally, it seems like she's right on target. Um, I think, again, underfeeding was an issue. Um, I think when I tried to do that whole ambient temperature um, thing, um, part of the reason why it didn't work for me um, is because that's again that's a whole different approach and when you just shift your animals to what from what they're used to to something totally different well you just shock their world and i think i just jack them all up by doing that which again i you know learn from my mistake is that just because you hear somebody talking about something you know don't go and change everything that you're doing mm -hmm. You know, try to kind of look at things and see if you can take something away from it, you know, and you can apply it somehow to what you're doing. Um, if, you, if you're having success, then I don't know if you really want to change anything. But if you're having problems, then that's when you sort of have to dissect stuff and, and check it out and see uh, see what's what. Um, but, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully I get something from that, some... Uh, ultimate goal for that one is to make some snows um i don't even know honestly if i want to produce snow jacks but i don't know maybe maybe they'll be cool um we'll see i don't know if the jag will make it a whiter animal you know reduce the pattern or whatever but uh i don't know we'll be curious to see that's a long-term project you know because then you gotta raise the double heads up and then it's what one in Sixteen or one in thirty-two odds to hit the snow, you know. So it's 
whew, <laughs> that's uh, that's tough odds. But hopefully uh, something will happen with it. Another one that I've been trying for, I tried last year and didn't have success, is I got a, a granite jag, um, and I'm putting him to a zebra heck granite. Obviously, the hopeful outcome would be a granite zebra jag. Um, I think one of my favorite looking animals is actually the zebra heck granite. <laughs> Again, yeah. just the head. I think I've spoken to you about that before. I, I love the zebra pattern on the IJ colors. It's wild, ain't it? Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah... I I was always a fan of the Super Zebra Granite. Um, if you don't know what that is, you can go over to uh, com and you can see, scroll down, you'll see what we're talking about. Um, Paul produced those, and uh, they're just pretty wild looking. They look like a Maclots python. Um, but I know some people will say, well, why don't you just keep Maclots pythons? Well, I do, but it would be really <laughs> cool to have a carpet python that looks like a Maclots python. So um, that's that. So hopefully um, I'll be able to uh, do something with her um, and get some something going there. We talked about my IJ parents. Um, one that, uh, another one that I'm excited about is I have a caramel head exanic that's coastal, and I'm going to put him with a head exanic female, so possibly make some ghosts. And Ghost is a caramel and Exanic together, so um, that will be uh, that should be pretty cool. A um, couple joint pairings that I have going on. I have uh, I have an Ivory Jungle that came from uh, Mike Curtin, and this animal is just killer. Uh, let's see if I can post it up in the the group thing. And me and Owen were doing this together, um, and uh, one of the ideas is uh, we wanted to replicate uh, back in the early days of uh, carpet python breeding here in the States, there was uh, Benjamin, there was a picture of Benjamin in the reptile magazine, um, and he was this white-looking jag. Do you remember this, Chris? No, I do not. Okay. So I'm sure it, I've probably seen it at some point and just don't remember. Yeah. I'm sure you have. You had to have. It's a white it's basically a jag, but it was white. And it was crazy looking. It was really, really killer. Um I think Owen has a picture of it somewhere, so I'll have to uh to to find it and post it up. But anyway, he has this ivory jag thing that he picked up this female and he had nothing to go with her so he uh we're doing a joint pairing and and obviously the idea is to produce uh white jags so um i don't know fingers are crossed for that that would be cool um what else car one granite talked about that i'm doing a um a diamond jungle jag to uh caramel zebra. Uh I think um putting that diamond in the zebras and the you know, when you're doing crosses like that, 
I think uh, would be cool. I'm doing a albino, that same albino that I did the Hetz Citrus Tigers, the albino Citrus Tigers. Um, I'm putting to an ocelot jag um, to possibly get uh, some al to make eventually an albino ocelot jag. Um, I think that would be pretty cool because the pattern's all crazy and uh, mm-hmm. put it in an albino version and it'll be pretty wild. Um, again, that'll be another long-term project. So it's like I have all these long-term projects of, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I have a granite girl and I'm hoping, hoping that I can breed the Exanic IJ to the granite girl um, to, uh, to make some double heads there. <clears throat> but um, I don't know. We shall see. Uh, and I think... I don't know. That's kind of like, uh, I think that's all my pairings. Uh, tiger and a caramel. I want to produce some caramel tigers of my own. Um, but I've kind of, I've kind of just, you know, make sure that I'm very selective with what I'm breeding and not just trying to throw something together and just for the sake of throwing something together. You know, I still have babies left over from last year. So, you know, again, you have that whole space issue. Um, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean. You, you, you yep. kind of. It sounds like you're gonna have a lot of holdbacks if you're doing uh stuff with double hats too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it makes it. Uh, you know, you have to start to look at the uh, the collection and and see what can go and what what can stay. Um, you know, and I kind of just like there's a lot of animals that I that I have in my collection that I I don't ever intend on breeding, but um, they're just cool looking carpets and you know like I have these diamond coastals that are pretty cool and I thought that you know down the road if I'm doing crosses and such and it might be interesting to see um, what happens like I have a big group I know you have some too of those. Uh, from Derek Roddy, those Nagini things mm-hmm. that uh he has. I think that they're yeah, cool. Female. Yeah. I'm I'm kinda like I'm still kinda on the fence with like what I would put to them, you know, like do you keep producing those New Guineas because they're just wild? Or do you try to put some morphs to them to see like what will happen? Because I don't know, man, you know how variable those animals are and just in one clutch you know you got exanic looking ones jungle looking ones uh very striking yeah yeah it's very cool and the girl the girl that i have is very exantic looking and right um, and she's she's up to size but i just i have no idea what to pull with her and (laughs) um the chance kept coming up to get a male from Derek, and i kept saying no and then I finally gave in and said I'd take it. And um, Terrell got her, uh, got the mail. So uh, I missed out on that. And um, I, I don't know. She's. I guess she's going to sit here another season. But like you said, you know, I kind of thought about just throwing a morph mail with her just to see what pops out. Because who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things. Like you don't know unless you try. And I guess you just kind of have to have an idea of, you know, and sometimes your idea of what's going to happen is not really what is even close to to happening. So, um, I don't know. 
should be interesting. Um, but yeah, I have a, I have a group of those and, you know, just things that I don't know, I guess, I guess I am a hoarder. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I have a problem. I guess I do, you know, and then, you know, not to mention my other projects, um, you know, it's really cool, um, when you have snake credit, <laughs> um, and snake credit is like uh when you've when you've worked with somebody long enough and you've you've bought enough animals from uh the snake uh, you brought enough snakes from a particular breeder you eventually start to develop a relationship and most times you know um the breeder will give you animals that you are not going to be paying for for you know a while <laughs> and um so today, uh, I got a box from uh, Mr. Mutton, um, and in said box was a pair of Het Albino Olive Pythons. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, you know, I, I I I do like big snakes, and I've I've gone back and forth on. At first, olive pythons were kind of like. Yeah, okay. Um, but then uh, I think I think uh seeing Owens uh really did it for me. And also at the uh, the Baltimore Aquarium, they have this huge exhibit, this Australia exhibit. And when you go, have you ever been there? No, I've not. Oh, man, you're missing out, Chris. We're going to have to take a trip one day. Okay, um, all right. <laughs> but anyway, they have this huge exhibit um that's uh an Australian exhibit. And in the exhibit, they have this, uh, I don't know why, it's like they have this huge river of water, big pool of water type of thing. And basically, they have a water python and an olive python, which I'm not sure why the olive python hasn't eaten the water python yet. But uh, they kind of have it together. And when you see, I think I have a picture of this somewhere, but you see this olive python just out on this, you know, this rock, this beautiful setup. Uh, the, the, you know, the, it's, it's just amazing. Um, and it's just chilling. And you see all that iridescence. And uh, it's just a beautiful. So um, I'm just... I'm just excited to be working with them. Um, and uh, I think I yeah. saw some attending. I'm pretty sure uh, someone had a group of them there for sale. Yeah, maybe Jeff. Jeff Hartwig? Jeff, yeah, Jeff Hartwig. He works with those. Um, and Owen has a pair. Hopefully, he's going to breed them this year. He's really, he's really, he's really excited about wanting to, uh, to breed those guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, uh, he kind of really turned me on to those guys. I, I really, really kind of dig them. Um, I think the last thing that I wanted to hit on is, uh, you know, what do you hope to pick up this year? Do you have any thoughts on what you hope to pick up this year? Oh, well, I actually, um, I picked up a zebra, a male zebra at uh, Tinley that I actually am getting from Jason Balin uh, next uh, White Plains Expo. So November 29th, I should be picking him up. Um, 
but that's about it that I'm adding this year. And uh, I don't think I have anything else. Um, like probably the the only other thing that I would get is uh, citrus head albinos from you. Um, maybe some uh, head exantic IJ stuff since I have a male now. Uh-huh. Uh, but no, there's nothing else that I'm I'm really interested in carpet wise. Even even reptile wise, nothing else uh, floats your boat. Uh, I just don't have room. <laughs> yeah, just I, a room issue. That, yeah, there's stuff I want, but um, it, it's more of a room issue now. Yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah, for me, um, so I got the olive pythons. That was something that I I wanted to pick up this year. Um, there's two two species in particular that I would love to add to my group. The number one would be walmas. I really, really want some really nice walmas. Um, I had them a while ago. I I let them go, and I shouldn't have. <laughs> um, I really uh, I really dig those snakes. Um, I have a male blackhead python. I would love to add a female, um, and uh, just have it as a uh, a breeding project. Um, also, I'd love to add um, pygmy pythons. Uh, I really, I really think that they're cool, cool species, and I can definitely make room for them. <laughs> yeah, they don't take up the space. <laughs> no doubt. Um, rough scales, they were one that I kind of uh, do want, but I, you know, I don't know. It's probably going to be in the following year. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Um, and I think uh, a blue tongue skink of some some type. Uh, would be what I would add this year. Um, I've really thought about Ackies. You know, that's something that I've I'm thought like, about them also, and then seeing them at Tinley um, really made me think harder. Uh, Rare Earth had a pretty nice setup of them. They're cool, aren't they? Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're really neat, man. You know, and you get that monitor in a small package. Something yep. that's you know, something that's uh, very doable. But uh, I'm in the process of researching them to really find out what they need and what the requirements are. But I don't just want to jump into something like that. But I think I think that uh, that that's that's on my short list is those ackies. I really would love to work with those. Um, usually, when I get in that mindset, that's usually probably going to happen, <laughs> for better or for worse, you know. Um, so we'll see, but uh, yeah, that's that's my hopeful uh, pickups. Um, I, I'd really like to uh, add some more Antaresia at some point. I know you're working with the Stimpsons, right? Yeah, I have a trio of Stimpsons pythons, and I was hoping to be able to pair them up this year, but uh, the female still has some growing to do. So next season, for sure, I'll put them together. Ah, cool. Yeah, I'd like to uh, to add that. I have a pair of children's pythons. The female is proven, but the male is too small yet. Um, the male is from uh, Andy at Pets at Sunset. Um, so, I don't know. 
But then again, I may be it may be it may be breeding size, and I'm just thinking it has to be bigger <laughs> because the snakes are kind of small. So um, I don't know. I think uh, I think that they're an underrated species. I, you do you like you like working with them, Antaresia? Oh yeah, I like them a lot. And they're so docile too. I mean, I I pull mine out and they they cruise around, but they don't even you know they don't even strike. Uh, they take up no yeah. space at all. I have you know what were they? Two, they're 2012, two thousand twelve? No, two thousand thirteen, and they're still uh-huh. living in a six quart tub. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's all. You awesome. know, it sounds like the males. You don't even have to feed that much. But right. Feed them a couple times a year, and they're set. Where did you uh, Where did you pick yours up from? Where did they come from? Um, I have a pair uh, from Eric Kohler, and okay. I have a female from Nick Mun. Okay. Cool. Very cool. So, uh, so yeah. Well, we're in overtime now, and uh, here I thought that we wouldn't be able to uh, fill an episode, but uh, apparently we did. I don't know <clears throat> if uh, if it was uh, people will take anything from it or be excited about it, but we shall see. So, uh, I appreciate you uh, coming and hanging out with me, and make sure I have somebody to bounce something off of. <laughs> yeah, no problem. And we got to talk IJ. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to tell Owen to take off uh, a little more often so that we could get some IJ talk <laughs> squeezed in there. <laughs> yeah, when I'm better prepared, we'll have to do a better uh, outline about IJs and the history and pairings and lines and all that kind of stuff. So, cool deal. So yeah, man, I appreciate it and uh, good luck this season. Yeah, thanks you too. All right, man. I'll talk to so, you. Uh, I'll- yeah, I'll talk to you later. All right, man. See ya. Yeah. All right. So, so yeah, that was uh, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, and uh, look for uh, for Chris posting up on Facebook when he has some uh, puts up some of his animals available. Uh, if you're looking to get some really killer IJs, uh, for sure, he would be one of the guys that I would recommend. Um, he, he has produced some really nice stuff. I have one of his animals in my collection. Um, so, uh, and it is, uh, from GQ Hannibal, uh, um, that he was talking about during the show. So, um, cool stuff for sure. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I hope that, uh, that I was able to, uh, to talk about um, what I do, and you know, I know we sort of got off topic a little bit on certain things, but uh, maybe uh, at another point we'll revisit, and maybe we'll have a show where we talk about uh, Owen's animals, and you know, maybe another show where we talk about my animals. I think some point next year we'll probably have a show where we talk about some some of the uh, the data and whatnot that that we take down during the breeding season and try to share it with you guys so that, uh, you know, you're able to take it and digest it and do whatever you like with it. Um, and hopefully it helps people, um, to have, uh, you know, better breeding success of their own. Um, you know, this year, 
Um, I've sort of, you know, I know Owen said he was doing 27 pairings possible, um, but um, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I don't really want to do that many uh, because I just don't want to have animals that I can't can't take care of. Um, but Owen has a knack for selling animals, probably because he is at re- every reptile show that's around here, so that usually helps um, for sure. So uh, I, <laughs> I'll just start wholesaling my animals to him so that he can sell them. <laughs> I don't have to deal with them. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, so in next week's episode, um, we have the Bowens Roundtable. Um, this should be, uh, should be an interesting episode for sure. Uh, the Bowens Python is one of those species of snake that's um, sort of a pinnacle for a lot of python keepers. Uh, people, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions or, or misunderstandings about uh, keeping uh, Boland's pythons, and there hasn't been a whole lot of breeding done um, in captivity. So to speculate on, uh, you know, the different types ways to breed these things is silly because it seems there's a couple people that have been able to uh, successfully breed them. My feeling is, is that it comes down to age. Uh, I think that they probably take more, uh, more time to mature. I think that, um, they need to feel secure, um, in the, the nest box. Um, if you, Multiple times we've had Ari come on and he talked about he would find these animals way down in these nests. And, um, you know, I don't know. It just seems to think that maybe maybe that's a part of it. Um, but um, when you talk to a guy like Frederick, um, he necessarily... Uh, I'm not really sure if he even even had that and he was able to have success. So, I don't know. Um, the jury's still out, so to speak. But uh, he will, uh, it will be uh, myself, Owen, um, Ari will be joining us, Casper will be on, Chad, uh, Chad Gray, um, and uh, Frederick Averback uh, will all be on the Bowens Roundtable, and um, you know, I'd like to talk about natural history and keeping, and um, you know, the breeding and all that kind of stuff, and listen to those guys' um, different approach. Um, is UV important? Um, is um, you know, uh, higher basking spots, cooler temperatures, all those type of things. Uh, what do they come into play? I think that. Um, I think when it comes to an animal uh, that you would have as a uh, blay animal, I think that Bowen's pythons are, court, are sort of the uh, one of those pinnacle species for sure. Um, they're just a beautiful animal. They're 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 a bit on the bigger side. Um, they're a bigger python, but beautiful, beautiful animal. Uh, I got the uh, pleasure of actually seeing one in person for the first time at ICAST. And I was blown away. Um, just the the markings and the iridescence and the colors and just the, just an amazing, amazing animal. I think 
Part of the other problem with Bowen's pythons is the is the feeding. Um, I didn't really get to hit on that too much, but um, I really think that uh, you know feeding. We feed way too much um, in uh, in herpticulture. Uh, we overfeed like crazy. I think that it has to do with when we feed the animal, that's the way that we can tell that uh, the animal is healthy and uh, it makes us feel good that we're doing a good job and taking care of the animals. Um, often snakes in particular are really good at uh, hiding uh, illnesses and sicknesses um, simply because they have to in the wild. Um, a sick or or uh, injured snake is often going to fall prey uh, to something, to some kind of uh, predator. And, uh, you know, they sort of have to be able to hide that. And I think that they do that in captivity. But the downside to that is is that you don't know if the animal is sick or not. And I think that if we, you know, if you feed it every week, um, you somehow, you know, have this feeling that your snake is doing good. Um, and I think long term, long term, it's probably not the best thing uh, for the animal. So it really, I guess, depends on how you want to approach it. I mean, if you're okay with having an animal for 10 years and then, you know, um, and breeding it and feeding it like crazy, well, then I guess that's one thing. But, um, you know, there's people out there that have animals that are 20 plus years old um, and, uh you know they've 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 really watched how they feed. Another topic that I, I'm not really sure who to talk to about this or or how to research this, but a varied diet. Um, I think that uh, I think I, I have to believe. And again, I don't know. I haven't really researched this too much, but I just believe that you know with people. A varied diet is key, and I know I'm I'm comparing reptiles and mammals together, and um, it's probably not the smartest thing to do. But I just think that uh, you know maybe there's certain things that that these reptiles or snakes get from certain uh, prey items, and you know they they feed on other prey items. On the flip side of that, rep you know, snakes and carpet pythons in particular are oh my gosh, opportunistic uh, feeders. So are they really being picky about what they're eating or are they just eating what's coming by? So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I, I, I tend to think that it can't hurt, you know, it can't hurt. Uh, so... You know, is there benefits to it? Uh, better clutch, better hatches, better babies. Um, you know, long-term health. Uh, does it does it help boost the immune system? Uh, I I don't know. Just things that I think about. I guess it's you get to a certain point where you're starting to think. You know, how can I better improve the life of the animal uh, that I have, and and what can I do to to better improve. Um, it's life, so uh, just things to think about uh, for sure. Um, but I, I'd love to have somebody uh, that uh, 
we could discuss that with. I think that uh, that would be a fascinating uh, episode for sure. Um, what else did I want to hit on? I'm trying to think. Um, one of the other things that um, was on the list, um, we talked about the... Uh, I think I think I hit on a, a lot of things on the list, um, but um, you know, I don't think I think one of the things that people need to do is is uh, start to realize that it's okay it's okay to try a species out, and it's okay that you don't like that species and it's okay to move it on to somebody that's going to really, you know, be into that species, you know? So, um, I think of my time with crested geckos. Um, I think that, um, I think when I had those that I, I was doing that for the wrong reason, I think that uh, I was trying to have a variety on a table at a show and trying to somehow get people um, interested in carpet pythons through this. Ultimately, the problem that I made and the mistake that I made is that I picked an animal that I really, although they're cool animals, um, I just wasn't excited about. I just kind of picked an animal that I thought maybe would be one of those animals as a gateway animal, so to speak, into Moralia. Um, so I guess my passion for those particular animals uh, weren't where it's supposed, you know, wasn't <laughs> really kind of limited my success from the gate. Um, but it's okay, you know, you move those animals along and it's okay um, that that it, that didn't work out. Um, I think that people maybe sometimes are afraid to admit because they don't want to be a failure or feel like a failure or think that, that people are going to think that they're a failure. But, you know, I think it's more commendable because you're moving on that animal to somebody that really is passionate about it. Because, you know, I think that too often we're worried about what other people are doing and trying to copy what other people do and as opposed to just doing what makes you happy and excited. So, you know, um, I think of Owen with Lyasis. I mean, he's like head over heels with Lyasis and he wants Savus and yeah, I mean, he has Savus and Maclots and he wants to get, um, you know, the Duns pythons and, and, and all these, uh, all the Lyasis that he can possibly get. Um, because he just wants to, as, as we say sometimes, complete the set, so to speak. Whereas, you know, I prefer, I guess, the pythons from Australia. I don't know. Savus, yeah, they're cool. I dig them. Uh, is it something that I see myself wanting to get into long term? I don't know. I don't think so. I think uh, that when I, the longer that I've gone without having them, the longer that the more I realize that that's probably not a species that I want to keep. You know, what's weird is something like Angolan pythons. Okay, you would think that you know somebody like me would want to work with Savus before I work with something like Angolans, but um, Angolan pythons have been one of those species that 
for the longest time uh, I have been fascinated with. I don't know if it's because I never really saw one at uh, at reptile shows or or whatever, but it just seems to me like it's the perfect crossover between well, you know a ball python and say an African rock python. Um, you know, and it's somewhere in between there, and the keeled scales, and I just think that that's a that's an awesome species. Um, I think what did it for me with them was when I when I went to a show. I think it might have been ICAST, or maybe it was Hamburg, but I saw Ben from Australian Addiction and and his uh, offspring that he produced, and I knew that you know one day I would want to work with those and, and have those. So eventually, I ended up picking up a female. So even though a lot of my focus is on Australian reptiles, um, for whatever reason, they stand out. And I do have some ball pythons. Uh, you know, I think that uh, for a, the longest time myself, personally, I sort of shied away from wanting to have those simply because it wasn't, quote unquote, cool at the time. You know, if you were a guy that was into Morelia, you definitely didn't want to be caught dead with a ball python because, you know, people would <laughs> would just ridicule you left and right. And this is what I say to that. You know what? The longer I thought about it, the more I thought about it, and the more the time went by, basically I say, fuck that. You know, um, I'm going to keep what I want to keep. And um, I am not, you know, driven to want to breed uh, these crazy morphs, but there's certain ones that I think are beautiful. They're beautiful animals. And if you're going to just deny that they're beautiful simply because it's a ball python, it's just ridiculous. You know, if you don't like it, then that's one thing. But if I took that paint job and I put it on a, on a carpet python, then all of a sudden it becomes the next craziest thing. Well, then I don't know, you know, maybe you, it doesn't necessarily mean just because you think it's a nice snake that, that, something that you want to keep and honestly when it comes to ball pythons i kind of like the natural ones uh you know just the regular ball python um you know i know that sounds crazy but it's a shame that whew, i guess i think i think the thing that you know when it comes to ball pythons that people get upset about is that they, unless it has genetics or genes behind it, then people don't want to be bothered with it. And, and again, that's not all people, um, you know, but just look at the value of a normal ball python. You know, it's just like, it's really has no value. Um, you know, there are people out there that just, you know, they're excited about genetics. And if you're excited about genetics, then by all means, that's the perfect species to work with. Um, you know, because, you know, it's the relative, you can have a lot in a limited amount of space and, you know, you can kind of get a feel for, uh, how genetics work and how they play out. But like we were saying earlier, I, I just, I wonder if we just, if I think maybe the market for ball pythons is past this now to where, you know, now it's about what the snake looks like, um, which is the way it should be. You know, it shouldn't be just based off of, you know, there's 15 genes in this one snake as opposed to a simple two, a two gene snake, which just looks killer. You know, like I think of it, you know, like something that I, I just think is the craziest looking 
I, I would just love to have one, even if it's just as a pet. Eventually, one day, I will have a fire, fire pied or firefly pied, you know, something along those lines. Insane, you know, three jeans, pied, fire, pastel. It's just crazy looking snake. And, uh, you know, for, I'm not going to not keep that because, you know, it's not cool or you know, whatever, because some brown gecko is what's cool at the at you know, today's standards or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with the with the brown gecko, it's just that um I'm more excited about this animal. And I think if more people just did what they wanted to do and didn't worry about what other people thought, I think ultimately that would just make for a better a better community and I think that the diversity of reptiles would be um would be there because, you know, everybody would sort of be uh, you know, uh, have a diverse collection of stuff, and uh, you go to shows and you'd see a diverse collection of of animals. And I don't know. I I seem to think that you know that I guess things have sort of leveled out, and people people have uh, sort of made their way back to keeping keeping what they like. So I feel very good uh, about where the uh, community is going and I think that uh we're seeing that more and more at least I am with the people that I'm surrounded with um you know one of the things that you know we were talking about things that pick up in the upcoming season and I think one of the things that I would tell people that if you're going to do breeding my advice would be uh my approach has always been to plan out what your breeding is going to be what is your what is your end game what is your ultimate goal where do you want to take the project? What do you hope to produce? Um, you know, maybe you just want to work with a species that really hasn't been bred that much. Then, you know, then that's one goal. If you want to, you know, if you if you see, if you look at, I mean, ball pythons are a good example of what, you know, I've mentioned it a few times during the show, but it's a good example of an animal to where you can get ideas of what things may look like or how different you know, colors or patterns kind of work together. It's not to say that what happens in ball pythons is necessarily going to happen in other species of pythons. But if you look, um, genetics are very similar. Um, you know, I always use the one example of like with blood pythons. If you if you look at a batik blood python and you look at a zebra carpet python, you would say, okay, that's that version of that um, in a, a zebra carpet in a in a blood python form, the crazy thing is is when you breed two patiks together, you get a patternless yellow snake um huh that's kind of crazy because when you breed two zebras together, you get a patternless yellow snake, and they have tail issues, and so does the batik so um when you look at things like that, and there's numerous examples across you know um across reptiles that you can see that you can sort of sort of just kind of get an idea sort of a template sort of sort of a a bouncing off of of where you want to go and what you would hope to produce or or something like that maybe you see um you look at a jag and you're saying oh man i remember you know talking to jason balen way back in the day one of his things is that he always wanted uh you know pinstripe type of look to a jag and um you know, uh, that was one of his goals and just keep reducing and reducing the pattern and selectively breeding, uh, that to eventually to get there. Um, 
I think uh I think that uh you know if you have a clear direction like that then then the key is just trying to find those animals uh that's going to make that project work um and you have to be selective about you know those animals that you're picking up um the problem with carpets is that sometimes you can't be overly selective um especially when you're dealing with some of these newer species to our to our markets uh, uh like inlands or something like that i mean you know you're not going to <laughs> find selectively bred inlands as as of yet um so you sort of have to have the uh the idea the the inland that I want to create um, is in the complete carpet python book, and I believe it's well, it was in somebody's collection. And I'm going to open up the book here real quick so I can just take a peek and uh, just let you guys know what page it was on. Um, but if you look at, uh, hold on one second, just bear with me. If you look at, let me find. Here we go. Okay. If you look at the animal that is on, where is it at? Okay, page 74 in the bottom there. Just amazing. Look at that red and that, that, that I don't even know, is that gray and the white? Uh, man, that, that animal is just killer. Um, and I think uh, that's also an example of how cool carpet python heads are. Um, you see those uh, labia pits. Um, and they're just, wow, just sharp. Anyway, um, so, you know, maybe if you look at a clutch, maybe you'll get an idea. Maybe you want to take the lightest ones or the darkest ones, or maybe one has a little bit more reduced pattern or whatever the case may be, but at least you'll get a, uh, you'll get a, get an, uh, an idea of you know where you want to take it and who knows you might breed those animals together and something else pops up and you want to take it in a different direction uh, but i think planning out is really kind of important and the one thing that i would recommend also and you know i guess i kind of shoot myself in the foot giving away secrets and such but you know you contact that breeder early on to try to find out you know well first you want to find out who has the best examples of of that particular species or more for whatever it is and, and, and try to contact them and try to get on the list if they have a list so that you're kind of first. Um, that was one of the things that I did way back when I was getting into carpet pythons is just kind of call people up or email people and get on their list um, so that I would have first pick of the clutch, so to speak, you know, um, and kind of look and see, you know, what you can <clears throat> what you can afford you kind of have that money ready to go because if you have a if you're first on the list and then it comes up that it's time it's go time and you don't have the cash well then you know the breeder might skip over and move you know to the to the next person on the list that has the money at the time it really just depends on you know the breeder if you develop a relationship with the breeder sometimes like i said earlier they give you what you know that snake credit which is which is awesome because uh you know you can you can sort of get the animals in advance of of paying for it you know um, nick knew i i wanted olive pythons and he just kind of sent them out before the weather had had uh had changed so that uh <clears throat> then they were here, but uh, you know, 
<laughs> that's that's a, that's an awesome an awesome thing. Um but uh you know, you don't you just don't get that because I've been burned on that as well. Um you know, I've I've had an experience where uh, a certain person that I thought was uh was a good customer and a good and a friend and and uh I I lived close and I I didn't think that there would be any problem and I let him leave with actually a a, a pretty big group of snakes and uh yeah you know, and I got burned on him uh, I never got paid for him and then what the crazy thing was is that he ended up selling them to somebody else and then that person is selling the snakes that haven't been paid for so that kind of that's kind of a crazy situation but you know I take the high road and um it is what it is and it's a it's a learning lesson and you really have to be careful when doing that kind of thing so don't just don't think because I'm saying this that you're going to be able to just get that with with uh with the breeder and don't expect it I mean that takes a relationship that develops over years and years and years till you you know consider somebody a friend like Owen for example I mean I would get if Owen came over and he wanted to buy a snake and he wasn't able to give me cash for months I would just say look dude it's here take the snake it is what it is because that's just the the relationship that we developed and even though I want to do that with some people it's you know it just makes me uh makes me hesitant um and there's there's a few people that I would do that for and then there was others that you know are gearing towards that position and then there's others that you know, I don't know well enough to do something like that, to take that chance. Um, because it is a chance. You're taking a chance that, you know, that person might not, you know, <laughs> they might roll on you. So um, that's kind of a kind of a thing. Um, so, yeah, if you if you get on the list and, and you get um, ready to uh, uh, to, you know, when the snakes are ready, that you're ready to to get it and purchase it. I think ultimately you're going to start to develop um a collection of really uh top quality animals and in order to produce top quality animals you have to buy top quality animals and that's kind of the way it works. So, you know, that's another thing you want to think about when you're walking around at a reptile show and and you have you're going to buy a, a jungle carpet and you know I think of somebody like Howard Redding he has uh, jungle carpets on his table they're 400 bucks take it or leave it that it is what it is and then you have a you know a flipper or a jobber that has jungle carpets on the table for 150 bucks and you're going to pay the 150 bucks but in long term you're going to be disappointed because more than likely you're not going to get the same quality um jungle that you would if you're buying from somebody that's that's really been selective and really took the time to put together a pairing that uh that's really going to produce stellar results and ultimately even with selective breeding even though a jungle isn't a morph per se um if you have a specific pairing um, that always produces nice results, you're going to, it's really good when you can produce a clutch of jungles where they're all going to be an A. Some will be an A+, plus, but but all of them will be at least an A. Um, that's, that's pretty awesome if you're able to achieve that. Uh, so you want to think about that. Um, another tip that I would say when, when starting breeding projects is write the stuff down. You know, I I would often write it down because, you know, I take 
take for instance, uh, take if you, especially if you're dealing with uh, genes that are recessive. If you have uh, recessive genes and and then you have different morphs that you want to create, um, let's I'll use my um, my cross granite projects for example. So I have a zebra head granite, a caramel jag head granite. Um, I have a caramel head granite, um, and you know, so if I would have just went and bought, you know, um, randomly, you know, jag head granite this and head granite that, and you know, not thought about how am I going to be able to produce, you know, um, produce these animals. Um, in a way, uh, how can I say this? It produced the animals in a way to where I'm better. Uh, I can I can get more out of a season um, having you know different females um, that are head granite with other you know different kind of morphs involved, and then just get it like something like a granite jag, you know, and just put that across those animals and be able to produce some uh, crazy granite cross morphs. Uh, type of stuff, and that all came from you know mapping it out and and planning it. And granted, um, haha, granted, right? And granted that the 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 pairings didn't always go as I thought. That's why having backup males and and other roots with different females and all that uh, all that stuff really pays off um, in the long term because it really sucks if you go and you buy a pair or something and you, and you raise it up all the time and then the female doesn't go. If you had another female or maybe the male doesn't go and you had another male or female that you could breed to, maybe the season won't be a bust or a loss because every time, you know, like the double head snows for me, every year that goes by is a year that I've lost. Now, you know, I'd have to, um, First, I have to produce the double heads, and then I have to grow them up, you know, before I can even produce a snow. So you're talking at least, I mean, you're talking at least another four or five years from now before I'll ever see a snow, which is long term, you know. And then that's even, even if I do hit the odds in that, you know, I might not even hit the odds. So, you know, I might get a binos, I might get exanics. But I might not get a snow, or who knows? You might get all snows, and that would that would just be crazy. I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be like to hatch out a whole clutch of just all snows. But um, you know, that's th- those are things that you just want to think about. Another thing, just as a tip, you know, when you're doing maternal incubation, that was always a goal of mine, always something that I wanted to do. I heard a lot of people talk about that jags have a hard time maternally incubating, um, which is why I sort of make it a rule for me if I can not to get a jag female you know that doesn't always work out because sometimes the pick of the clutch or the best one in the clutch is a is a female and it's you you know it's a jag you got to go with what you got to go with and then uh you know sort of make the the call from there. I'd, I'd rather err on the side of not doing maternal incubation with a particular clutch and having a, a, a nicer animal. Um, I think that's just a, a better move long term. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, writing it down um, really, really kind of helps out 
what you're doing. It kind of keeps me focused on, you know, what animals am I raising up? What animals am I going to try to really focus on? What what do I want to kind of do? And I even go as far, far as to put it, you know, if that pairing works out and if this is what I produce, what am I going to be taking that animal and putting it to later on down the line? So I kind of have a feeling of... You know, like, okay, these two years, this female's going to go, then she's going to be off, and then hopefully by the by the following year, she'll be rested up and ready to go for when the male that she produced in that first clutch is ready to breed back to her for, you know, whatever the thing would be. Um, you know, I talked about, like, so with that, I'll give you an example of that. So I have an albino jag. I bred to a zebrahead albino. I produced an albino zebra jag. I did the pairing again you know, um, to produce, uh, and the following year I didn't produce any albino zebra jags, um, which is okay, but, um, I am now, I held back a male and I'm going to take that male and I'm going to breed it back to the zebra head albino. So this year, you know, I thought about breeding her, but I said, no, you know what, I'm going to give her the year off so that she's rested up for the following year. Um, that's kind of the idea. Now, whether that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, I don't know. Maybe some people are able to produce, you know, year after year after year. Um, that is possible. I know some people that have done it. But I don't know if that's the best thing long-term um, for the animal, you know. Um, when it comes to that, I really don't have animals old enough to really really talk about that in any kind of detail but um i would think that that would 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 burn them out i mean i would imagine it's uh very stressful to breed um that's a very stressful thing that they have to go through and i would imagine that every time that they do it that uh that really does affect them in the long term so um who knows um yeah so I'm going to I'm going to wrap up um and um you know this was this was kind of a cool thing um you know Chris I thank Chris for coming on and joining me I wasn't expecting that that was kind of uh, out of the blue um that he actually did call in which was which was cool I'm able to uh hang out and talk so some of the stuff that I that I maybe wanted to talk about I didn't get to hit on but uh but that's fine. I think uh I think it was a cool show. I hope you guys um enjoyed it. <clears throat> um and uh like I said, maybe in a future episode I'll interview Owen and Owen can interview me so you get a, a better feel of uh what we're about, you know, and what we do, what's our what's our successes and our failures and what have we learned. I mean we're <clears throat> we're um me and Owen are in a in a great position as far as Every week we get to talk to um, the best of the best breeders and keepers of uh, the species that we love. So it's it's kind of like going to school, you know. Every week we're going to school and we're learning new. And every episode I try to take a little something from. And, and that's why I like listening to other podcasts because even if it doesn't deal with the species that you're you're dealing with, it you know it really is cool to be able to uh to listen to other people that are passionate about 
um, other reptiles. And who knows, maybe they, they will uh, excite you to want to pick up um, something. You know, one of the things I was listening to, my, my brother-in-law was big into bearded dragons, and um, my, my wife is uh, a fan of them as well. And uh, we've, we did have one for a while, um, but it, uh, for whatever reason, it ended up, it, it, it passed away. Um, I'm not really sure what happened because, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, I thought about adding them again into the collection simply because I was listening to uh, one of those uh, Gecko Nation radio shows and they were talking about bearded dragons and, you know, you know what's crazy about bearded dragons? I was talking to Rob Stone about this. Is that if you would have looked at them years ago, years ago when they weren't available and for us, they were they would be considered a rare reptile. So nowadays they're just bred and they're everywhere that people sort of take them for granted. And um, I don't know, man. That's that's just a cool. I think I think it's sort of lost its coolness factor because. People just take it for granted, but that is a cool species, you know, and uh, again, nothing breeding or anything like that, but I think, I think, I think at some point I'll probably add them um, back into my, into my collection. I, I don't think that I would ever get something like a leopard gecko, but um, I could see myself adding like, uh, you know, some uh, Amy eye or, or something like that as something different. Um, but who knows, you know, and then maybe I'll get them and keep them and, and say, oh, that's not for me. Recently that happened to me with retics. Um, I thought, you know, with the whole uh, ban and stuff that was going on, I thought maybe it would be a good idea to have at least just a pair of normal retics because they are beautiful snakes. I mean, they're just beautiful. They're they're really one of those species that it's kind of the, the pinnacle uh, look <laughs> for any kind of, uh, for Python. I mean, beautiful. They're so intelligent, um, you know, as far as a snake goes. And, um, they really, they're really just different than, than pythons that I'm used to. And, uh, I thought that I would, I, I figured, Hey man, what's the, you know, how, how can this be bad? And I don't know. I just experienced uh, just, it just didn't do it for me and that's fine. So I moved them on. Um, because I didn't want to have a snake that's, you know, and then it's 20 feet <laughs> and now I have this animal that what do I do with and, and all that. So I'm, I'm fine with admiring retics from afar. Um, I love hearing about them. I love the people that, 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 that keep them and are excited about them and the genetics that they, they work with and, and they've done some amazing things with these animals. And that, you know, I see a lot of people that are very passionate about their retics and, um, that's awesome. Um, and I can just appreciate that from afar, uh, cause <laughs> they're not for me. Um, you know, I thought about that with some other species of Python as well, but for whatever reason, some stick, some don't, um, it's, that's, that's okay. Uh, don't be uh don't be afraid to say yeah yeah I tried it and I did my research and and that's not for me. So um uh, and just because a, a an animal a reptile right now is rare doesn't necessarily mean that down the line that it's not going to be rare cuz ball pythons fell into that category as well. I mean if you look back in the early days 
you hear all these ball python breeders like, you know, Greg Graziani and all these guys that sort of were getting into that way back in, in the earlier days, um, you know, nobody gave a shit about them. Nobody knew how to breed them or, or cared, you know, they were on other things. And um, to them, you know, to the, to the, I guess the market or the hobby or whatever you want to say it at the time, they're more or less saying like, God, oh, that's junk snakes, man. What are you talking about? Why would you want that? You know, it wasn't until the morphs started popping out that people started paying attention. And now, now look at where they are. You know, it's just, it's just crazy to think that just because something becomes popular, that it somehow loses its cool factor. Um, that's just silly, man. So if you, um, like a particular species, don't be worried about if other people think it's cool or not cool because things go in style. Look at ring pythons. I mean, you know, back in the day, you couldn't give them away. You know, nobody wanted to deal with them. You know, now uh, you, you'd be lucky if you get anything, you get a pair for uh, less than a thousand bucks. I think they're probably maybe twelve, fifteen hundred dollars a pair. Um, whereas back when in the, in the early 2000s, you could probably get them for like uh maybe 200 bucks a pair you know see how things have 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 turned around i guess that's supply and demand type of thing because nobody worked with them and everybody sort of sold them off and who knows where they went or what happened to them and you know the person that still worked with them now all of a sudden they become rare and if you want them you're going to pay this price and you know people did pay it you know that's kind of how that goes so uh, so yeah, enough of me rambling. Um, I'm going to, uh, give some of the shout outs and everything and then, and then wrap it up. Um, I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, tuning in every week and, and listening to us and giving us some support and, um, you know, it really does, uh, mean a lot to me and Owen, uh, for the work that we put into the show that, uh, you know, you guys get, uh, something out of it. So, <clears throat> for us, like I said, next week we have the Bowens Python episode. Um, after that, uh, it's not a guarantee, but um, we're working on a Carpondro show. I know Owen's shuddering at that one. Um, but uh, it's part of the Morelia world. I mean, a lot of people are fascinated by those, and uh, I think it will be cool to talk about them. Hopefully, after that week, we'll get the Blue Tongue Skink episode. And, and then the following week, it will be, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, the holiday show. And then we'll be off for a couple weeks, and then we'll come back. And like I said, we talked about in previous episodes, we're going to spread the wings a little bit, try some other species, and talk about some other things, and you know, hopefully get you guys excited about uh, some other stuff. And really take take that Morelia, et cetera, to heart. Uh, so, so that should be a cool thing. Um, the website for us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Um, you can go and check that out and sort of point you in the direction of, uh, anything you want to find Morelia wise. Um, if you have a question or a comment or a guest that you want to hear or something, topic, anything like that along those lines, you know, feedback, good, bad, whatever, Send it to info at moreliapythonradio.com. Um, we, we'd love to hear from you guys. And, 
you appreciate you taking the time to send us uh send us an email and your thoughts and all that uh, the um let's see the 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 podcast you can listen to it if you are not able to listen to it live which you know most people don't um but if you're not able to listen to it live you can always download it on iTunes um or your podcast app of choice just look up Morelia Python's radio and you'll be able to uh to find it subscribe to it and uh yeah you know you can listen to us at your leisure whenever you get a chance uh you know um as far as uh let's see what else do we got uh as far as myself uh we have i have e b morelia my website is e b morelia dot com my email is eric at e b morelia dot com um my website is a work in progress i'm forever trying to update it and tweak it i go through times where i i I just kind of let it go for a little while and then try to get the info that i need to put together put it on there Um, i'm trying to make it um, a sort of a reference type of thing for people that they can uh, sort of you know look at and reference for um, you know for them uh, whether if you have one of the animals that I produced or if you're just curious about, you know, keeping or breeding carpet pythons in particular. Um, as I get more experience with other species, um, as far as the breeding aspect, I'm sure I will uh, do that for them as well. So you can check that out, ebmorelia.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, my Facebook page is ebmorelia. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, all under E.B. Morelia. By the way, Morelia Python Radio is uh, also on a Facebook page. Um, and our pretty much our group, Facebook group, is Morelia Pick of the Week. Um, you can, uh, if you're interested in doing some research on Morelia, you can by all means go and check out uh, Morelia Pick of the Week and uh, put in um, a request to join and uh we'll we'll get you approved so you can come in and uh become a member. Um as far as Owen, um rogue-reptiles.com. Um he has a show coming up. I believe it's the first this Saturday in December. Um that will be at the Hamburg show. Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what he has available at the moment. I know his stuff was uh, dwindling down, uh, but I'm, I'm sure he has uh, avail- available animals that he has, uh, either on his Facebook page, which is Rogue Reptiles, or um, you can check out his website at rogue-reptiles.com, um, or just send him a message, Owen McIntyre. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I think that's that's all his info, and um, I think I hit on everything as far as uh, as far as us getting in touch with us. Um, and I guess with that, uh, I will say uh, thanks for listening, and uh, until next week, uh, stay tuned for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night. Hey, Chad Brown here. You may remember me as a linebacker in the NFL or as a reptile breeder and the owner of Pro Exotics. I've been herping since I was a boy, and I've dedicated my life to advancing the industry 
educating the community about the importance of reptiles. I also love to encourage the joy of breeding and keeping reptiles as a hobbyist, which is why my partner Robin Markland and I create the Reptile Report. The Reptile Report is our online news aggregation site bringing you the most up-to-date discussions from the reptile world. Visit thereptilereport.com every day to stay on top of the latest reptile news and information. We encourage you to visit the site and submit your exciting reptile news, photos, and links so we can feature outstanding breeders and hobbyists just like you. The Reptile Report offers powerful branding and marketing exposure for your business, and the best part is it's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you got to check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the reptile world's most complete buying and selling destination full of features to help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex, weight, morph, or other keywords and use our buy it now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the Marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad that also gets fed to the Reptile Report and our powerful Marketplace Facebook page. Buying or selling? Use shipyourreptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animals successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptiles successfully, live customer support, and our live on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit TheReptileReport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder. Then visit ShipYourReptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile-related. 